Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast, this for UFC Fight Island 5. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined in studio today by Cody Saftik. Five, Paul. Fight Island 5. Booker T would be proud we've made it this far. Yeah, keep the good times rolling, hopefully, coming off the heels of last week, you which was... You good hit the in many ways. Three, five, and seven leg like, parlays. I got in on those. Those were a good time. There was one of the parlays. It was the PRP. I was just like, nah, not touching that one. Why? Because you selected Juliana Pena against. You know, I'm rarely right, but when I do, I'll, I'll boast about it. And uh, she just couldn't deal with the strength, Cody. Fair. Okay, so at least in my defense, first round, what does she think? Loses the first round, no doubt. What is she thinking? Doesn't pursue takedowns until the last 10 seconds of the round. You don't go into a fight with Jermaine Durand and me, one of the most decorated kickboxers to fight in the UFC, her class, obviously. Uh, you don't go in there with the game plan of just stand and bang with this girl, and that's what she does for like four minutes and 50 seconds of the first round. Loses the first round. Second round, close. I score for Pena because she finally gets that takedown. She take definitely down. won round two. She gets I'll that takedown. Yeah. It's when, it's when Duran, uh, Jermaine Durandamine got up in some of the striking spots. She actually hit Durandamine a couple good times with some striking exchanges early in the second, takes her down, wins the second round. Mm-hmm. The third round, it's up in the air, man. It's 1-1. Huh? It was all Kate. It was all like... She was the last pick on the parlay. Jermaine could have separated, landed a couple punches, and she would have won that round. Because Pena was... I mean... What was, hold what, on, what, yeah. what was the name of that uh, referee? Kevin, uh, was it Kevin Sataki? Yeah. He would have broken that up off of the fence like 17 uh, times at that point. No, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. However... However, at least with the optics, it's like, ah, you know what? Pena was holding her up against the cage for four minutes, and Durand landed a few Not knee strikes. Minutes, but well, yeah. No, but if you could have held it out for the rest of the round yeah, okay. and just done that. She gets a little greedy, pursues that takedown, puts her neck into it. gets And, and the kickboxer, the decorated kickboxer, submits the decorated grappler. and too Juliana strong. Pena. Yeah, too strong, so... Bet, this is what the people are here for. <laughs> a bet, a bet's a bet, and uh, yeah, I did in, take a shoey bet. In fairness with you. to you, and I appreciate that you're going to go through with this. Yeah, she Pena was way down your list of favorite plays. You just well, we talked about it on you the show. Fell into the trap. You we talked about it on the, the show. I was like, Jermaine is such a better kickboxer that if this ends up being a kickboxing match, I'm going to be looking like an idiot for and taking Pena. That's what Pena. round one looked like. Yeah, but if Pena just makes us a grappling match, then she'll win. And then she waited a little long. But she tried to make it a grappling match. Still fucking lost. So you have a good week and you have a still have to drink. We're a all having a good week watching you. No, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here. Great. OK, so anyways, yeah, not to puss puss out completely because I am doing my bet. But it's a tall boy. I don't feel I'm going to do the whole tall boy in the shoey. But I will take the equivalent of a beer. No doubt. And where does that. the beer come from? Okay, yeah. So I went, got a Bavaria straight from Holland because to give JDR her props. Props to the Iron Lady. You know, there's a saying, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. And in this case, JDR <laughs> pro- proved that that was uh, 100%. I thought it was going to be Juliana, the Venezuela n- is paying. But no, no. Definitely <laughs> wasn't going that way. So shout out to Jermaine. I'll have a Dutch beer in her honor. I want to get the iPad wet. All right. Let's, let's see. Oh, uh, yeah. It's what the fan, that's what, I mean, if we look at, like, the, the analytics here, we'll probably see that, like, everyone tunes out around, like, the 4 minute and 30. People are just here to see you do this, Shuey. It's what the people are here for. 
That's what I'm here for. Okay, I mean, we don't even have to talk generous. about this card. As long as I get this on tape, we're good to go. I'm not good at these, though. You are. The time you did it, it was like I, I you can, were taking care of business, as if you'd done it before. I can drink a beer, yeah, for sure. Well, you lived in New Zealand. You tell the story lived, about living in Fiji in New Zealand. and I'll I mean, I didn't shit. drink all that much when I was out there. It's more the tree planting years. Drinking out of weird things becomes kind of like a fact of life. Matt Best behind the sticks there struggling. He says he's got a bit of a soft stomach. Cody is going to work. I think you, you found the right boot this time. By the way, those are the shoes that Cody wore into this establishment. So that's probably going back on his foot once it dries Whoa. out a little bit. You need some paper towels for that? <coughs> hey, well Did done, you get kid. paper towels when you were in New Zealand, Paul? No. No. I think they spit in theirs, don't Good they? Good work. That was that was your best uh, chug other. You were ready. You mentally, you I were in the zone the for mic. this one. I've seen you cough over them. Anyway, the last Cody one. Saptic. What did I drink? It was a wheat beer. The last one. Holy yeah, shit! Bad. If that you're was, sitting at home and you're ever like, if you ever want to chug a beer out of uh, out of your shoe, a Bavaria from Holland, not too bad, is what you're saying. Yeah, I'm considering doing the other half, but do it <laughs> nah, shit like yeah. It. All right, I'm you just gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy this beer and we can talk some fights, Paul. All right, let's get into it. We got main event, hell of a fight, bantamweight title challenger. I don't know. There's such a mess at the top of that division, but Corey Sandhagen takes on Mar- Magic Marlon Marais. Corey Sandhagen is a minus one thirty favorite. Marais plus one ten. Where's your head head at? After that beer and uh, oh, on yeah, this fight. Yeah, my mouth got this like tang to it. I don't know if it's the beer. I've never had the beer. The beer couldn't have a natural tang. It could be the salt from the last time I wore those boots is last winter. So Which maybe it's the salt from from the road. From picking Juliana Pena. If you've ever had Bavaria, if you're from the Netherlands and you've had, oh, it's Bavaria. If you've ever had Bavaria, let me know. Let me know. Is it my taste buds or is it the beer? Uh, jumping into this one, I, listen, I'm a Corey Sanhagen guy. I, I stand behind this guy all the time. He just got those. He's got those intangibles that you really like. Young, he's dynamic with his striking, but he just pushes a great pace and has great cardio. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't have to be the technically better fighter if you've got a great gas tank. And this is one of those guys that embodies that. When he gets into striking exchanges with a superior striker like uh, John Lineker, he just keeps going. He keeps going. He can put on this pace on you. Lands 120 significant strikes in that fight. And this is, you shouldn't be standing with Lineker, but the guy can kind of do it all. I'm pro Sanhagen. Team training at elevation. And we talk about Drew Dober and his resurgence. We talk about Justin Gaethje and him killing it. We talk about Curtis Blades, best cardio in the heavyweight division. We talk about all these guys that are on a roll from that camp specifically, and he just fits on with them. So being so confident in Corey Sanhagen, I, I'm behind him going into the Aljamain Sterling fight. Now, seeing it on tape, it's pretty obvious. Corey Sanhagen, uh, Corey Sanhagen struggles with takedown defense. That's kind of his issue. He's given up takedowns to just weaker competition. The fight prior to that against Rafael Sunsau, he gives up four. You just kind of knew maybe he does get taken down by Sanhagen. But my thinking is, kid's a BJJ brown belt, good grappling chops. Once he does eventually get back up, no problem. Mm-hmm. No problem. He got absolutely cut right through. Cut right through. Aljamain just takes him down like nothing, takes his back like nothing. Renick chokes him like nothing. That's probably why you're getting a minus 130 is that, is he trustworthy? Does he have some issues? Does he still have to need to develop? Is he still missing some wrinkles to his game? But as far as how he matches up with Marlon Marais, Marlon Marais is the better striker. But Marlon Marais doesn't really carry that better striking advantage through to the later rounds. No. He used to routinely go. super dangerous early. He used to go to the distance. Yeah, back in the day. Sure. Back in the day, he used to go the distance. And you know something? The guy's got 30 pro fights. I don't think he's ever been knocked out. 
he's he's cast iron. He's really durable. But there's just a sense of like wear and tear to him. Like this guy has taken some damage. Now you look as far as his UFC run goes. Um, the half hour of Sun South fight, he's low volume and loses his close split decision. The John Dodson fight, he's low volume but wins a split decision. The Aljamain Sterling fight, Jimmy Rivera fight, and Rafael Asuncao fight, legendary. You knock out three badasses mm-hmm. in the first round. Holy shit. Puts him on the map. But you, you don't really see the low output go on. You don't see him get tired because he's just beating guys in the first round. Then you get the Henry Cejudo fight. He looks awesome in the first round, Paul. Looks good, solid. In the second round, about two minutes into the second round, he starts to get tired a little bit. In the third round, Henry Cejudo, the decorated wrestler, the, the Olympic gold medalist, is walking him down and just teeing off on him, and he kind of falls apart. The Jose Aldo fight subsequently to that, his, his best round is the first round. And then the second round, he gets outstruck by Jose Aldo. Yep. 135 debut, aging Jose Aldo, soundly beats him in the second round. And the third round is close, and I thought he won. And it's a split, and Dana White sits cage side and says, I actually thought Aldo won. I'm going to give Aldo the title fight. Like, I don't know. So what I'm getting at, though, is the Aldo fight is only three rounds, but he was already fatiguing as the later the fight wear. And the Henry fight's five, but he doesn't make it past three because he's already starting to wear. And maybe that's what Sanhagen's got to do in this fight. He's just got to keep in it at least until these rounds two and rounds three, and then from there, that output's got to take over. I feel like Marlon Moraes, even though I did mention he is the better striker, he's more refined, he's got more power, if he's only going to go out there and throw 60, 70 significant strikes, land 60, 70 significant strikes, and Sanhagen goes out there in a five-round performance, can land over 100, over 120 maybe, it's just going to come down to output. So I think Sanhagen's going to want to wash the bad taste of his mouth off the last loss. I think he's motivated to get back in the win column. I think that Marlon Marais, it's not that he's not motivated. It's that, you know, he's already fought for the world title. He's already been at the highest level. He's been a, a champion in World Series of Fighting. He is now 32. He does have that mileage of 30 pro fights under his belt. It's... It's just kind of, I don't know that Marlon is the, when we sit here, Paul, and we talk about the best band in weights in the world, right? And it's like, holy shit, man. If Henry comes back, he's the best guy. And Peter Yan, geez, Peter Yan's the second best guy. Sterling's and Aljamain Sterling, Aljamain Sterling's a total badass. Uh, and, and Cody Garbrandt, a former champ, he's all the way down on the rankings. Gar- Dominic Cruz, if he was to come back, he wouldn't even factor in. You've got Marab Devashvili, you've got Jimmy Rivera. They just cut Brett for the Pikey Johns because he doesn't even factor in. He got dusted. That's nah, because he probably wanted he got dusted. He, want, he got no. dusted by Pedro Munoz, who's a total badass, and doesn't even factor in. The division is just murderous row. It's it is. very, very easy to get lost. I think they just lost. prefer, with a guy like Brett Johns, they're like, we could pay you like 60 and 60. What? But we can we just never get... pay Brett Johns 60 I'm, But they, they, they should, they could they flood, flood the entire division with They've just got so 12 many and 12s, and that's what they're doing right, right now. And Sanhagen's right at the top of that list for me as well, and I feel that, to a large extent, Marlon Marais has been at that high level. I just don't know. And, I'm not going to be shocked if we go out there. Sanhagen just has always historically maybe he learns his lesson from mixing it up with Aljamain Sterling that he knows there's levels to this but he's always been open to scrambles on the ground and he could get caught against a guy like Marlon Marais in that position the easiest spot and I've seen a lot of people other people smart people on this uh, concept is you bet Sandhagen after he survives early on now that being said you may just lose lose a nice price 
by waiting because if he comes out and has the early lead and then Marais gets tired, you miss the spot altogether. But well, that's, Marais, that's, that's Marais is definitely live here. It's a pick em fight. Right. I don't think it's too far off. Marais could catch him, whether it's a knockout or, uh, or submission early on. But I think Sanhagen, the longer this fight goes on, the volume that he puts on people and the pace that he sets, Marlon Marais is not able to keep that pace. Yeah, that's what I was saying. And with Corey Sanhagen, again, when you watch the half fella Sunset fight, the, his problem is the takedown defense. Even Marlon Mario Batista takes this guy down. You can take this guy down. When he goes against Aljamain Sterling, he gets taken down. That's what leads to his demise. Marlon Moraes is not taking you down. I mean, yeah, he took... I guess he's got a takedown on fight metric over Jose Aldo. He took Jose Aldo down, but it's like he's, he's a striker. He's a striker-first kind of guy. So with Corey Sandhagen, if, if it ends up just being striker versus striker, then I think that Sandhagen uh, eventually prevails. But I think you nailed the other point here is that this is a good live bet spot because... Mm-hmm. Maybe it isn't. It isn't. I think that if Sanhagen's going to win and win this fight decisively, he's going to win those rounds decisively three, four, and five. Especially four and five should. But when you go back, Mar- see, why is Marlon gassing in the UFC? Why is Marlon gassing in the UFC? Because he's coming out hot. Now look at Marlon in World Series of Fighting back when he was fighting those five rounders. Very slow starter. In fact, too slow to start. He loses the first round against Josh Hill. Josh Hill shatters his fucking nose. Like man, so he's he's now changed his style to get a bit of a quicker start. But as a result, his cardio is not, he's not pacing himself the same. Yep. Sanhagen should beat him based on cardio. Maybe live bet is the move, but, but wait, I think. Wait for the danger zone. Wait until halfway through. In a perfect world. I mean, after a, round one, you probably have a good sense. And I feel like yeah. you avoid the Sanhagen gets absolutely flattened. Marlon Marais can knock people out in the round, in round two, but like all of these, that big run of knockouts and stuff, it was all quick. It was all first round. That's where he puts in his most well, that's devastating they call magic, work. magic Marlin, right? Some Sometimes magic. he can pull some magic out of his hat, but mm-hmm. hopefully Sanhagen's wise to that. Not a guy that's shown chin issues, so hopefully he's uh, able to prevail out of that one. But yeah, in a perfect world, we make our money on the other spots on this card. And by the time the main event comes, we got money. We, we add to our bankroll. We can have a little fun. You always want money on the main event. Bet it when the main event comes, right? Yeah. Don't got to add it to anything early because I don't well, think the yeah, price is going to change a whole lot on this no, one. No, it's going to be and pretty simple. I like a whole lot of spots lower. Both guys, both guys are 100%. Like, it's not like we like Sanhagen. We're picking Sanhagen, but we're not going to be stunned no, if Marlon Marais no, pulls no. it Listen, off. Like, two, that's what two he's of done. the top 10 guys in the division. 100%. They're, they're world class. Co-main event, we've got Edson Barbosa taking on Makwan Amir Khani. Edson Barbosa, loser of five of his last six fights. The minus 260 favorite. Makwan Amir Khani is a plus 220. Here's the problem with Makwan Amir Khani. He can't fight three rounds. If he wants to utilize this wrestling approach, his wrestling game, we've seen Barbosa just be able to withstand absurd amount of beatings against some of the best guys in the division. The Habib fight going going the distance with Habib in a three-round fight. Um I mean, uh, the longer the fight goes, the the better usually. Well, not not, not the better. He slows down as well in round three. But he's but shown durability. He's shown durability. He doesn't get time. submitted against better grapplers, I think, yeah. than Makwani or Amir Khani. He's fighting the best guys in the division. And on the feet, these guys are worlds apart. Watching, uh, I watched back Makwani Mercani's fight against... Uh, Shane Burgos. Now, I know that uh, he's going to want, like, in that fight, he's trying to stay out of uh, out of boxing range. So he's staying a little bit further. But I was watching it the whole time, just like, Edson is going to, like, wheel kick this guy in the head. 
And if he's hanging out at that distance from Edson, there's not much he's going to be able to do about it. He's going to have to push and pressure Edson Barbosa. And I think coming in like that, I mean, he's going to eat a shit ton of leg kicks. Maybe he catches it, takes him down. I'm ha- I, I think Edson can survive. Um, won't get submitted. That is how that is Mac one's path to victory a submission in the first two rounds. But I think Edson cruises here. Probably like I don't think knockout is out of the realm of possibilities. Known as a de- decision machine, but uh, I think I saw earlier oh, yeah. on props like plus one hundred for Edson Barbosa by knockout. Um, that is where my head's at on this. I think Mac one's uh, the problem is he can't go through the third round. He he just falls apart every single time. And it's hurting at that point. Uh, against Barbosa, that's that's a dangerous proposition. So I think the line makes sense. Um, Barbosa doesn't always finish guys, but I think he does get the finish in this one. What, what about you? Okay, so I, I honestly do get the impression that Edson Barbosa is shophorn, and you and I have talked about how this guy is like Wolverine, man. He's got this ability to rejuvenate after ass kickings and just come back seemingly as a better version of himself. And I don't know if it's starting to catch up with him, but it's like all of his losses dating back to being upset by Jamie Varner by knockout, being dropped by a jab by Don Cerrone, then being submitted beyond all, beyond all that. The Michael Johnson fight, he gets completely pieced up, but it's not a life-changing beating. He gets beat up pretty good. The Tony Ferguson fight, it's a life-changing beating. It's like, wow, how do you, how do you get that much damage and come back a new man? But he comes back even a better version of himself. The Khabib fight is a beating, Paul. But he comes back, gets Michael Johnson. The Michael Johnson fight, save for a wheel kick in like the fourth round, is a life-changing beating. <laughs> but he always he's able to come back. He comes back from those beatings, all those beatings I named to this point, then he beats the shit out of Dan Hooker. Puts that same thing on him. Like, he doesn't slow down. A lot of guys, as they get older, they slow down. This, this, this wear and tear starts to add up to them. Starts to add it, it, To him, it just didn't. Then he gets Gaethje, the be- one of the best guys in the world, and gets knocked out bad. It's just another... Now he's losing to Paul Felder. Now he's losing to Dan Ige. And whereas you had to be Khabib or Tony Ferguson or Kevin Lee... That to Ige take, to fight, take down though, this too... Guy, like uh, a lot he of people scored it for Edson. He beat the shit out of Ige I actually, in the first round. Rewatching it, I think Edson won. And I had money on Ige. In that I spot. had money on Edson, but I rewatching it prior to Ige's last fight against Cater, which I got wrong. Uh, I honestly thought, you know what? The first round, if he gets dropped in the first round, but outside of that, he works his way back into it. Now the second round, he's not able to get the takedowns, so he's standing and striking with Edson. What? Say what? That was Edson's strong suit. If you you had to take him down, all those other guys took him down, right? Here's the thing. Watching- now maybe you don't have to. Maybe that leg kick's there, not there anymore. Maybe all these different things loses to Ige, as you mentioned. He's lost five of his last six fights. Then they book him against. So DQ stuff. Mm-hmm. He's dead man walking, yeah, but then yeah, yeah. So DQ stuff pulls out. Here's the thing about that Ige fight, though. And now I watched that fight. Ige fight. I like, fight. I like watching both fighters at the same time a lot of the times. I watched Ige and what Ige was doing was pressure, pressure boxing. Mm-hmm. Moving forward, he caught some leg kicks, but he wasn't staying at range. You don't want to stay at range because he knew that he had to just keep pressing forward. I'm not confident that yeah. Makwani Mirkani can do that. Amir Khani, what he does have, he can his level change is half decent. He grasps the uh, the body lock pretty yeah. fast, but finish wrestling I champion. I think he gives up a lot of strength to Edson. Edson's last fight was his first time at 145, so I think a consummate professional. He's going to be 
even better, maybe. How much does it take out of you? I think it takes a lot is out of you. Is he trustworthy? It's, is he trustworthy? It's going to be easier the second time around. No, that's why I think the the knockout. I see plus one thirty five. Edson Barbosa by knockout. That's my play. <sighs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I just listen. I think that he matches up great with Amir Khan because yeah, the the key difference not only just the pressure game of Ige versus the lackadaisical stay at range game of Amir Khan, but Dan Ige's got a great gas tank. Mm-hmm. Dan Ige, who's on record signing off on EPO subscriptions for Ali. This guy just goes, man. I mean, he's got a great guess, whereas Amir Khani definitely fades. Now, factor that on, as we mentioned, uh, Amir Khani's stepping in for Sodi Yusuf, so he's actually coming in on a short notice. Gas tank was a problem to begin with. If he goes out there and doesn't get these takedowns and just consistently get takedowns through at least two rounds, then Barbosa pieces him up. I don't love the price tag at 260. Maybe chase a prop like you're saying... But I could also see Maquan getting real desperate and just shooting takedowns and just clinging on for dear life and trying to not engage. And if he doesn't engage he does that, and he tries to hold on, then it gonna is going to go the distance. Hold on in round three. We've seen this guy flop around. Give me, give like, me a guy hurt in round three, and it's the start of round three. It's like they're they're just going to look to survive. And with Edson, yeah, Edson can put it on the way he did Dan Hooker. He killed Dan Hooker. Why can he not do the same thing? Because Amir Connie's not going to stand there and get his ass kicked. He's at least going to just shoot desperation takedowns. That'll cause him to get tired even faster. I, I I got Barbosa. I just again, I don't love that two sixty price tag. He'll end up on parlays, of course. Um, but yeah, just at thirty four now, I'm starting to get the impression of wear and tear. Don't know where he's at. He's second time at forty five. Is he going to look really good? He should have been at forty five all along. Or is it going to look like, oh shit, man? You know, your body's taking these cuts pretty bad. And Amir Khani all of a sudden wins the first two rounds and holds on. I, I don't know. I don't want to get into a dicey situation like that. But yeah, I, I'll, I'm going to take Edson Barbosa in the spot. The only time, what Nogles. Or sorry, yeah, the the only time he's ever won by knockout was the Andy Ogle flying knees. Oh like, my god! That one OG cost, fans of the that show. That cost me seventeen thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I didn't know it at the time. It was a parlay piece. Eight yeah. second knockout. The only piece of the parlay that was lost was Andy Ogle getting. He eight tried to throw that point. flying knee against Burgos too, and he just came off looking silly. I don't know. I think like his hands looked better in the Burgos fight, but he wasn't able to keep that going. That's mm-hmm. the same thing. Like once he starts to get tired, then he just goes reverse. It back seems every third at. round he gets tired. Like I just think Edson's now he's gonna, on short. I notice. think Edson's going to spark him. Yeah, plus he's he's coming in on short notice. Give me give me Edson all day here. Uh, we got Ben Rothwell taking on Marcin Tybura. Rothwell minus one sixty favorite. Tybura can be had for plus one forty. What where are your thoughts at here? Okay, so this is just a middling heavyweight fight that I think could go either way. I've got this problem where I pretty much always been. I always bet Ben Rothwell. Same here. It, it, a lot of it's matchmaking. I think that they it's give... worked the last two times. Yeah, well, at least it's worked the last two times. But I, I pretty much see him against his opponent. I'm like, oh, you know what? Big Ben is capable of defeating this man. And, man, he is just so slow now. And he goes through the motions. And he's real hittable. And he's plodding. And he's flat-footed. And he's definitely one of these guys that the prime years of his career were probably spent on the sidelines with that... PD suspension. At heavyweight, it's okay to be a little bit older and you can get away with it. You can fight until your later years because everybody's tired. But when Blagoya Ivanov and Andrei Arlovsky and oh, Junior is a fast heavyweight. Andre's considered a fast heavyweight. Blagoy's not. These guys are all moving in like hyperspeed compared to him. It's kind of sad to see. Now, Stefan Struve, geez, he's seven feet tall. He can't move fast. He's just too damn big. And wouldn't you know it, Ben Rothwell looks awful in that fight. He loses the first round. He doesn't do shit. He loses the first round. It's awful to watch. The second round, he's doing nothing. And he lands the biggest colossal low blow. Kick to the balls. Boom. Strews down. Loses a point. 
and then knows that he's got to he's got to go into maniac mode. When he goes, he has got to come out mode. in maniac, maniac mode. mode. Now the Alvin St. Prue fight. This is St. Prue's only fight at heavyweight. I mean, the guy's a good two hundred five, but he never fought at heavyweight. He mm-hmm. takes this fight on short notice against Ben Rothwell, and it's like again all day I'm on Ben Rothwell, but he's so freaking slow that even though he, that uh, OSP's not doing anything and Rothwell's pressuring, he gets dropped at the end of the first. He gets stung at the end of the second, and even though he wins the fight, and I thought he won the fight, it is a close split decision. So every time you see him. It is frustrating to watch. It's hard to watch as a better. So when you see a price tag minus 160, I think it's coming down a little bit. He's a middling heavyweight. It's going to be dice. You're going to have that sweat going on. But then Tybor presents all those same things. He's just so untrustworthy. Now he's kind of looking better at times. But you got to hurt this guy to get his respect. Once you get his respect, he crumbles a little bit. And mm-hmm. Rothwell, even though he's going to try to pressure him... Hasn't been knocked out since 2009. Kane oh, Velasquez. And if you remember iron. that fight... That's what I'm... If you that's, remember that's that why fight, Rothwell is the player. He's here. working his Chin. way up. As he's getting... He eats so many punches. And he's working his way up when they stop it. And he loses it. He's like, why are you stopping That's it? the major difference with these guys. Durability. Durability. You've got one of the most durable guys, but he's slow, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got a guy that's got no durability in Tybora, but he's fast. He's fast for heavyweight. He's good. He's mobile. He's got good footwork. He's this former karate guy. If yeah. he just stays at range and just kicks, he is going to win this fight. He's just going to kick at range and win. Ben will try to pressure him. Ben will try to move through the fire and track him down. But he's so slow that if Tybora just moves out of the way... But, but, but you've got to deal with Ben maniac for mode. 15 minutes. For 15 minutes, you have to deal with Ben could... Go- no, but Ben will and probably do. You're bombs right. Though. On you the first he's four minutes, Tyburn will probably jerky. win. Maybe the move is. Uh, well, then you miss the opportunity. Nah, you, it is. Uh, I'm going to take Ben Roth- Rothwell. I always take Ben Rothwell, but it's going to be very frustrating to watch until he goes out there and lands them hands, which could could take could take a round, it could take two rounds, it could take three rounds. The biggest takeaway when he beats Stefan Struve on the microphone afterwards, right? He's like, "I should just fight every fight like I'm down around." Yes, Ben. Yes, you should fight every fight like you're down. Just go for it. Because you're so durable, you can take what they got. You just got to throw a little bit more. Haven't quite seen that. And, and listen, he's not getting any younger. So, uh, plus he's the king of Kenosha, right? And there's just so much shit going on. I, is his gym operating? Like, what, is he, is he, what's, the, what's his camp in like? Like, who, who knows? But I got Ben Rothwell winning this fight. Uh, the, the first three, four, four fights on this card are like probably the toughest fight. This, this is a tough top of a main card. Once you get belong there, it's like you get some t- some better takes. But so far th- uh, through the first three, I've got the first three favorites, yeah. All right, we got uh, Drigitz Duplessis taking on Marcus Perez. Duplessis, minus 155 favorite. Perez, plus 135. Watched uh, du Duplessis. His two fights against uh, your boy, Croatian sensation. Soldage, Soldage uh, is a beast, though, man. Yeah, Roberto Sol- that, Soldage. Man. No, that was, those were a hell of a fight. Yeah. Like, that that's, was, that's world-class fighting. That was world-class fighting right there. Um, I didn't love... I watched, uh, I, I'd watched one of his recent fights at middleweight first. And, like, he's fighting kind of scrubs in EFC. And I didn't love EFC. what I saw. I didn't love his stance. But then watching the Soldage fights, it's just like, all right, this guy can bang with, like, with legitimate competition. Went back, watched some Marcus Perez fights, and this guy's kind of just a goofball out mm-hmm. there. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, was, I was hoping, you know, guy coming in to the UFC, you know, you making UFC debut or whatever, and just like, I don't know, Duplessis, especially in like the KSW fights, just like that's in front of a massive crowd, all the pressure. He's in a championship fight, headlining in a card. They take it super serious over there. Like all of those, you know, the butterflies in your stomach and stuff should be gone or minimized against a guy like him. 
I like Drickus quite a bit in this spot. What about you? Yeah, I like Drickus as well. I don't love that he's got to make his UFC debut coming in on short notice because originally it was supposed to be Marcus Perez versus Rodolfo Vieira. So at least Perez will be full camp and... But that spot versus Rodolfo Vieira, it's almost tailor-made for Vieira. You put it on the main card because of Rodolfo Vieira, the undefeated BJJ specialist. As far as what's Perez going to do against Vieira, well, he's got to st- keep him up. But his takedown defense is not that good. His striking, yeah, like you said, it's it's a lot of like, as Robin Black would call it, flim-flam. You know, it's just like, it's lackadaisical. It's like water gun striking. It doesn't really have a whole lot of power. It's not even really the the cleanest but he touches you up, he moves out of there. He is fast, he's de- got decent footwork. He's just kind of in and out with you a little bit. I just don't think he's overly the strongest guy going. And as far as his BJJ black belt, I just don't think he's like a world-class BJJ no. black belt. He's not the kind of guy that like, if he does get you down, I'm going to be super worried. He does have a good Darce choke. He does have a nasty setup to that. Maybe he's able to catch Marcus or uh, with Dracus Duplacis and something. But as you mentioned, Duplacis is a little more just like battle-tested than your average guy coming in and making his UFC debut. On top of being the former EFC Africa champ, he had fought five rounds for the promotion. They were bringing in guys. He had beat everybody in South Africa. Mm-hmm. By the way, this guy, I'm a bit of a fanboy. He's my favorite. He's my second favorite South African fighter of all times. Who's your favorite? Trevor Prangley, man. Trevor Prangley's okay. the legend. This guy, well, I know who you're thinking of. That giant heavyweight, Juan was, Potts. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get my... Juan uh, Potts. My Barboza by... By uh, knockout. But they're bringing. Oh, okay, do whatever you want. But yeah, these oh, guys. I'm listening. I'm listening. Well, I'm you're trying, trying to bet Edson Barbosa. I don't want to miss the line. Talking I'm, about I don't want to miss the line, place. Cody. You understand. I guess so. Each, each, Anyways, each he beats everybody. Matters. He beats Points everybody matter. in South Africa. So they start bringing in guys for him. And again, he looks pretty good. I believe he's a BJJ black belt. He's got a good back take. Once he does get on your back, he does like going to the, the body triangle, backpack you fish for the submission, but is striking something that is left to be desired. Signing with KSW, he gets a title fight right off the get-go. His KSW debuts against Roberto Soldich, and he goes out there and knocks him out. He gets hurt in the right, first right. round, but, I mean, he's durable. He, he's got some perseverance to him. He's got a good ground game, and his striking is improving. He goes out there, and he knocks him out in the second. He gets the rematch against Soldich, and he unfortunately loses in the third. But he's competitive. As you mentioned, you watch those fights. He's competitive, fighting KSW, world stage. Mm-hmm. Once he loses to Soldich, he gets to fight with Boris Mankowski. Boris Mankowski is a star in KSW, right? Yep. Short, but powerful, stocky little guy. Big star over there. Duplacis misses weight. Actually, the fight gets called off because he's ruled medically unfit to fight at 170 pounds. So now he moves to 185. Like he looked pretty jacked at 170 in those Soldich right, fights, right? exactly. Now he's at 185, and he actually has won his last two fights against Jolton Santos, second-round mm-hmm. knockout at KSW, goes back to EFC Africa, beats a, a guy that shouldn't have been in the, in the ring like with him. He's like a 3-0 guy. He didn't look very good. The fuck are you 3-0 fighting a guy who's 13-3 and getting and ready for a And fought on the world stage. Right. He's a former champion in KSW and EFC Africa. You're 3-0, and you're fighting this guy. Like, you got balls, bro. You got balls. But that's about it. No brains. No brains. Yeah. Uh, and, and he wins that fight. Now he's coming in the, sh- in the UFC. Again, he's got a good ground game. I think that his ground game is, is comparable to Perez and that he'll be able to keep up. But the striking, he should have a striking advantage, and he should be tough to take down. Even though he's coming up to 185, he does got the last two fights in. He's filling out his frame. He doesn't look like the smallest guy going. When you're ruled medically unfit if by a looked, Polish doctor, yeah. they're normally like, mm-hmm, don't you worry about it. Do what you got to do. No, this guy's like, whoa, you're a giant welterweight. You need to fight at middleweight. I don't think he's going to have that, that size problems. Now, can't discredit Marcus Perez completely, but Marcus Perez's debut against Eric Anders, he goofs around, gets taken down, has no way up. Where's his submission game? Not there. Gives up two takedowns to, mm-hmm. uh, to Eric Anders. Then he beats James Boknovic. Oh, come on. Cut from the UFC. Never won a fight in the UFC. One, Should have been One in the of UFC. the worst of right. all time. Then he loses to Andrew Sanchez. He's got no pace. 
And without, like, he just doesn't, he, if he can't take you down, where's that BJJ? When he does take you down, the BJJ's not quite there. Beats Anthony Hernandez. Oh, come on. Anthony Hernandez never won a fight in the UFC and shouldn't have been there. So again, it's just he's beaten very low level. Then Wellington Terman just drags him to the ground and outpowers him. Mm-hmm. I think Dreykus is going to be stronger, even though he's coming up that weight class. I think he's going to be stronger, and I think he's going to just outstrike Perez enough to eventually clinch with them, to eventually peel them down, and it's going to be that little bit better striking and a little bit better groundwork and a takedown here and there should carry Dreykus over. Now, last thing is that Perez is unbelievably durable, at the very least. The guy's super tough. 100%. He doesn't BJJ get finished. Black Belt, cast iron chin. He's not getting knocked out. Dreykus has shown some power, but I don't think he knocks out Perez. Mm-hmm. And even though he's shown some BJJ, he's not submitting Perez. So if you want to improve on that minus 155 price tag on Deplices, and you do have him, you go with him by decision. Him by decision. Outside of that, you maybe take this fight by decision, because I don't, I don't really think Perez finishes Deplices as well. I see plus 350s out there for Dreykus <laughs> right. by decision. So as far as a prop bet goes on a, on a, on like a decision thing, yeah, I think... I like I like where your head's at there. A lot worse than that. I'll probably uh, get you real. You sh- can bet that on the next one. I'll while probably, I yeah, talk while about you're the talking on the right, next one, right, I'll right. probably make a little wager on that. Uh, just, uh, just a sprinkle. All right, we got uh, Tom Aspinall taking on Alan Baudo. Tom Aspinall, minus 500 favorites. Alan Baudo, plus 400. We have talked over the years about banana peel pricing, and we have like, the heavyweight division, yada, yada, yada. Well... You know, Tom Aspinall was probably not enough of a favorite against bloated uh, middleweight, arguably welterweight, uh, Jake Collier in his last fight. Oh. Wasn't really taking on a heavyweight. The line was def- or was inflated, but it's just like we're have a heavyweight taking on not a heavyweight in this fight. I watched Alan Bodeau against Todd Stout. Yeah. Um, guy for, a local guy here. Uh, Cody's booked him in some fights and so on and so forth. I have. And, I mean, obviously, on the record, you got to go, you got to dig a little bit deeper. But Baudot gets finished in the second round of that fight. It's credited as a win because Todd Stout tested positive for marijuana. And it's a win, not even a no contest. Yeah, not win. even a no contest. Um, I, he had Crazy. a couple nice, like, hip tosses. He's a judo guy. He's a judo guy, yeah. But he's a 205-pounder. I know he's six foot four. Maybe the guy comes in and he's, like, put on a whole bunch of weight because that was a, quite a while ago when he fought a stout. But we have a heavyweight taking on not particularly large light heavyweight. Tall, but I didn't really see the muscular structure or anything like that. Those judo tosses are all well and good. I just don't think they work against an actual heavyweight when you're trying to push around, like, another 30 pounds, like a bigger guy, stronger guy. I don't like his chances much at all. I mean, minus 500 is expensive, but I think Tom Aspinall is still kind of a parlay piece at that, and he'll be a focal point when we talk about DraftKings, I imagine. Yeah, I would say if you're looking to make a bet that you bet Tom Aspinall because the price is just going to keep going up and up. He opened at 350, and that was like a gift from the gods. Mm-hmm. And he's 500 now, and it still seems pretty too good to be true. You don't want to bet middling heavyweights once he gets to like six, 700. But as far as 500 goes, he's probably going to end up being a key parlay piece. Tom Aspinall's got all the advantages in here. They're looking to profile Tom Aspinall in this spot. Listen, why is this fight on the main card, first of all, right? <clears throat> you got Tom Aspinall versus Sergey Spivak. They're looking to promote Tom Aspinall. Uh, Alan Bodeau shouldn't be in the UFC, I don't believe. His career is just 
not really to that caliber so far. Whereas Aspinall's exciting, man. He's young. He's got great hands. He's very mobile for a heavyweight. When you see him, this is like one of the few heavyweights that actually has abs on him. Like he's in really good shape. He's got excellent footwork. His boxing is really good. The whole story is that he's always oh, Darren Till's training partner. They're, they're good buddies. They're out of the same camp, and they've got a similar brash-type attitude, and this guy's going to be like the next Darren Till. He's going to emerge, and he's very, very self-confident, and you're going to like this guy. The other angle on him is that he's a former pro boxer and was a sparring partner for Tyson Fury. Helped Tyson Fury get ready for the Klitschko fight. Uh, this, there's, there's a lot that you can like about Tom Aspinall. When you look at his, his regional show career, they just don't really have a whole lot of guys for him to fight. But he's smoking through them. Sofian Bukachu is actually a training partner of Alan Bodo. And Bukachu, I mean, he goes out there, lights him up a little bit with his hands, checks a kick and breaks his leg, man. woo It's nasty. Then he gets his Michael Ben-Hamuda and he just takes him out in 60, 56 seconds. He gets Jake Collier, takes him out in 45 seconds. You're not able to see what he looks like in a second and a third round. We'd like to see somebody extend him out a little bit, no doubt about it. But Aspinall is a young, exciting heavyweight, and the UFC is looking to showcase a guy like that. Again, he's got good lineage, good pedigree, trains with guys that are popular in the UFC. Everything for him to be a potential star. They just got to move this guy along. So now you got Alan Bodo. Alan Bodo's entire career has just not really led up to anything. So as you mentioned, he's a former Judica. Uh, I, I've only got him listed as a brown belt. I, he's not, I don't know if he was a black belt. If he is a black belt, he's not a competition black belt. He's mm-hmm. not a guy that's gone out there and won stuff. We'll talk about another Judica on this card later on. But he's not, he's not somebody that's like international acclaimed and like really good. His debut happens in Japan, from France, lives in Japan, at that Gary Juriyama. It's a freak show fight, okay? He fights Yuji Sakuragi, 15 and 22. It's a freak show fight. Open weight, freak show fight, right? He's fighting guy, oh and no. He fights for the Heat heavyweight title against Yusuke Matsumata. It's 6, 11, and 3. They're all freak show fights, Paul. Then he gets Dalka Langiambula, who's in the UFC, who's in the UFC, Mm -hmm. is a 205-er in the UFC. A jack 205. And he lasts 26 seconds because the second Dolce, who's not a freak show fighter, everybody else he's fought to this point is a freak show fighter. Dolce's not a freak show fighter. The second Dolce fucking touched him, he flopped right Mm over 205-er. Keep that in mind. Well, you know what? You got to get back in the win win column. So he does against Yuto Nagajima. 0-2. Why why are you fighting an 0-2 guy? Because you got to get in the Because you got to get back on track, Cody. Then he takes the Todd Stout fight. Now, Todd's an okay talent. Yeah. Todd would probably good be... Lo- like, very good local guy. He's good, fought good all local the... Guy. If, Solid yeah. local guy. Solid he's local the, guy. He's on the rungs to the, to the top level. If he wasn't a convicted rapist, he probably already would have signed with the UFC. I didn't think Unfortunately. you were go there. Well, there's a reason why Todd Stout <laughs> doesn't fight in the UFC. Todd Stout's a banger, okay? He likes to go out there and put on a show. He likes to land those hands. He's got a lot of power. He's got a great following. He's the Black Hulk, Black Hulk Nation. That's who he is, okay? He cannot wrestle... He cannot grapple. All of his losses are because of that exact reason. And he sure as shit has never submitted anybody in his career. He is an entertaining brawler. Fun. Getting more technical with the stand-up. But as a stand-up fighter. Where was the judo then? He can't take Stout down. He's largely... He, got, he had a couple... He had stout? a hip toss in round one. And then I think he had another one in round two. They were pretty. They looked nice. Stout but they, holds he him up against up the cage and works. On the ground, yeah. And then he tires. Stout's yep. a 205-er. Stout's entire career has been at 205, okay? Mm-hmm. He got, starts to get tired. He starts to fatigue. Now he can't take him down. And he gets choked out by Todd Stout, okay? That was over a year ago. It was a year and a half ago. He got choked out Todd Stout. First and only submission victory of Todd Stout's career a year ago. 
And then Todd Stout tests positive for Mary. He's coming off a fucking loss, not a win. It looks no, like a two fight win. It's not. It's not. No. Nope. And by the way, when the Tom win, the win when Tom Aspinall touches him, when Tom Aspinall touches him, it's gonna look like a lot like when Dalton touched him. He's yep. going to knock him the fuck out. Yep. This Bodo guy is a dead man walking on the green mile. He's gonna give up thirty pounds coming into this fight, anyways. I I, I I couldn't in good conscience, other than like you're saying, there has been an angle in the past where it's like, oh, heavyweights be heavyweights. He's not fighting a heavyweight. That was my point of it, though, is that he's fighting a light heavyweight. Yeah. He's Bodo's fighting got a, one a, thing. a bloated light heavyweight. Bodo's so got Aspinall, one thing. So Aspinall, we still haven't even really learned too, too much about him in the UFC because he's taken a bloated middleweight and now a bloated uh, light heavyweight. But, yeah, the heavyweight wins in this spot. Yeah, and, I, and you could say, geez, Bodo is a training partner. Francis Ngannou, and he's a training partner of Cyril Gagne. It's like, nah, dog. They grapple on weekends. He like, comes in on the end of the yeah, cycle. Yeah, like he's not sparring these guys, and if he is, they're not. They're holding back. That's for goddamn sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just honestly think that he probably gets melted inside of one round. Same if here. if if it turns out Aspinall doesn't have a good gas tank and gases out after one, great. But even then, I don't see where Bodo is a threat. So he shouldn't be in the UFC. It's a short-notice spot. They're on Fight Island. They need someone that's local from Europe. He's from France. He comes in perfect. It's a good guy to step in and fill that void. Not a, not a heavyweight, but now he's going to fight. When I looked at Aspinall, he had never fought lower than 244. He had never fought higher than 256. He made his amateur debut when he was 19 years old as a heavyweight. Fucking guy's a big guy, and he's filled out into that frame over the years. So Bodo's got—he's up Shit's Creek, man. He's got a lot going against him. And at the current price tag, it's Aspinall all day. Once Aspinall gets to seven hundred, why? Why? why well, then why, I why really would, nah. have to parlay. Seven, or are you taking my knockout? I mean, you're gonna parlay it anyway at that. Price. Well, because I'm gonna. That's tweet how you do. That's how you do things anyway. I'm gonna tweet parlays, and then even though a guy's 500, 300, 400, whatever, they're at the top of that parlay. Aspinall's that guy. Do I want a heavyweight at the top of my parlay? No. But if it was Romanov and Romanov's at the top of the parlay, sometimes you just, it's a heavyweight, I get it, but you just got to roll with it. Bodo's not a heavyweight. You, you nailed it best. Heavyweights be heavyweights. Nah, this is light heavyweights be light heavyweights, which isn't a saying. So move. It'll be int- I want to see what Bodo looks on, on the scales, I guess. On, I already have, uh, I, I parlayed Aspinall and Edson uh, earlier in the week. Fair enough. Uh, the prices were a little bit better than they are now. I think he was Aspinall was like minus four hundred, and Edson. I just wanted to get in some action, and Edson was minus two twenty five at the time. Um. Oh, and by the way, I got the Duplessis by decision uh, prop in while you're talking there. There you go, like clockwork. Nice. All right, let's move on. We got a really. This one looks like a really fun fight. I don't have a hot take on it yet. I'm hoping that you do. We got Yusuf Zalal taking on Ilya Topuria. Uh, Zalal, who's looked great in his UFC tenure here, he's minus 185 against the newcomer, 8-0, plus 160 for Topuria, who uh, I've looked at some highlights and stuff. This looks like a fun prospect. Yeah, no doubt about it. I I honestly am very tentative. Would love to have a better lean on both sides, but I'm going to go with Topuria as my dog number one on this card. I know that Zalal's popular because he's won three fights in the UFC, and they've all been this year. Factory X. Factory X. Muay Thai, he's young. I think he's 24 years old. Moroccan devil, LFA veteran. He's cashed some nice tickets for people in the UFC so far, so he's becoming, I'm not going to say a fan favorite, but he's getting a little bit of respect, and, mm-hmm. and people definitely As like he this should. guy. Yeah, no doubt about it. And the other thing, too, is when he comes from LFA to the UFC, I mean, this guy's just a striker. You know, he's got decent Muay Thai. He's got really good footwork. He's very agile, likes to stay on the outside, decent kicks. He just absolutely crushes a man with a flying knee to get his contract in the UFC. And by the way, that, that, that's important because that's just the second knockout of his entire career. Not really a power puncher. But when he comes to the UFC, he shows you 
Oh shit! No, he, he's he's not a striker. He likes to grapple. Goes out there against Austin Lingo. He just looks to grapple. Mm-hmm. Goes out there against Jordan Griffin. Same thing. Just likes to grapple. In fact, Griffin's taken him down a few times, but same. He he just he works his way through it, and then he gets a uh, slippery Pete Barrett. Ah, not a great fight, but at the same time, you go out there, you beat a guy who's on short notice and probably shouldn't be there and with you. And he's young. He's only 23 and he takes that fight. He's 24 now. But this is how you develop. Three fights in one year. Perfect. Uh, realistically, he's got, he's got how many fights in his career? 12 fights in his entire career. And this is going to be his fourth fight. This is how you develop. This is how you get it. Perfect. But there's spots in all those fights where you see, shit, he's still really green. Mm-hmm. Austin Lingle pressures him a lot, and he doesn't really have an answer to the pressure. Then he just goes to the takedowns, bails him out of that spot. Jordan Griffin fights him tooth and nail. Very close fight. And Griffin takes him down. He's able to control him. He's able to take his back. That, that's all not great. And against Pete Barrett, well, Barrett's just not all that good, so it's easier to look a little bit better against him. But you see where, as we mentioned, he's young and he's developing. Tapuri is young and developing. I completely get that as well. He's in a similar boat. But at least he doesn't have to make his UFC debut against a 32-year-old who's got 10 fights in the organization. At least it's like, okay, it's another fellow young up-and-coming prospect. You know, Lucif Zalal, it's not too long ago that this guy's losing fights in LFA against guys that should have no business being in the ring with him, right? Mm -hmm. That's just a year ago. That's 2019. That growth still has to happen. So anybody can come in and teach his kid a lesson. Tapuria is a BJJ black belt. He's only 23 now. He achieved his BJJ black belt at 21. It's like a lot of, a lot of, it's pretty crazy. But there's something weird about this guy I just can't quite figure out, right? So he says he's born in Germany, but he's rocking the Georgia flag, mm-hmm. country, not the state. And he's fighting out of Alicante, Spain. And he's fighting out of Alicante, Spain. So you go to his Instagram, and it's like 23-year-old, up-and-coming, struggling prospect, trying to make ends meet. What? No. This guy's fucking driving sports cars. He's like filthy rich. Yeah. And you know what? I'm looking at it right now. Maybe those are just opportunities. His sponsor was like, hey, let's take some pictures. Nah, dog, his last name's on the license plate. It's his car. He's got Beamers. He's got Mercedes. He's on? living the life. He's standing on the car. Normally that gets you killed. But he's. But <laughs> this, I'm looking at the picture. And right he's now. in a beautiful part of Spain. And this guy is living the. And he's shredded. Looks he's in really good shape. Family rich or something? Okay. His striking, as far as tape goes, you see his striking on tape. Not bad, man, right? He's no, got yeah. power. It's. Again, it's a little he's stiff. He's a finisher. Most of his fights, first round Almost finishes. all. That's, that, well, that's one concern, is that I don't. I think Zalal's got good cardio. So if Tapuria doesn't put him away in the first or second round, and he's got to settle for going the distance with this guy, is he going to just completely fall apart? But he's a bantamweight. Bantamweights have less problem with cardio than, you know, middleweights and welterweights and light heavyweights and heavyweights. The bigger you get, the general, more chance you get of a... As a general rule, of course, yeah. A small little flyweight or a 35 it's like they should be able to fight for at least two rounds. Even though Tapuri is coming on a short notice, it seems like this guy is considered a good prospect. He's got some wins. You know, you'd like to see him fight better guys, but all the same, he goes out there and he just takes care of business. They've been giving him some okay guys. He traveled to Finland fighting in the, his opponent's backyard, and he just he smokes them out of there. He's got a good guillotine choke. Uh, he's got good submissions. His striking looks like he's got good power. It's just, again, it's a little bit robotic. I think Zalal's the better striker, and that Zalal just stays at the outside fluid. and picks and chooses. But Zalal, in all of his fights so far, right? This is, this is the numbers on his three fights in the UFC. He's completed the Austin Lingo fight. He scored six takedowns against Austin Lingo. The Jordan Griffin fight, he took down Jordan Griffin. Actually, didn't take down Jordan Griffin. He was taken down by Jordan Griffin. But there's scrambles and all that. And mm-hmm. then the Pete Barrett fight, he takes down Pete Barrett three times. Even though he's got this idea of, oh, he's a striker, he's relying on the takedowns. I don't think the takedown's going to be there against Tapuria. 
So now if he has to strike for 15 minutes, he's been getting outstriked by these guys in his fights. And this guy, Topuria, looks like he can pack a punch. Like he's That overhand right is pretty vicious. So what's if you're going to talk about the first dog pick of the card, might as well like make it. it a greasy dog pick. And that is... Zalal opens at minus 260. Yeah. And then drops 100 points to minus 160. I mean, you don't People you will only say have to soft walk. opening. People will say soft opening. Yeah, of course. I'm going to say this guy in his clan of people, they, I mean, they know they no, know it doesn't take got. long. He's got like, backing. You look at some, He's got backing. You, you type in Ilya Topuria they know into YouTube up. and you watch a little bit of tape and you're like, oh, this guy isn't just a schlub prospect. No, this guy looked good. good. And, uh, yeah, it should probably be closer to a pick So I like I the pick I also saw of- this Instagram video where yeah. there, it's a Q&A, and they ask a little man by the name of Marab Dabashvili, who, who he thinks should be the next guy in the UFC, and he's like this, this kid. He's like Tapuria. He so, probably wants some of those bucks wherever this guy's getting that Instagram. This guy money don't from. fight nothing like Namrab Dvashvili. Don't fool yourself. He left Georgia, ended up in Germany, and later Spain. He's more of a finesse grappler and a better striker, probably. Um, but he, he's so young at 23. They've given him a 24 year old. He needs to develop as well. He could develop here. I'm gonna I'm gonna tentatively make him my first dog pick of the card at plus one sixty, but this is tentatively. not a card. This is not a, this is not so the one I got. Don't go and bet it yet because you could change by the time we get to the PRP. Why well, it'll probably be low in the PRP. So I'd okay. like to put some of those dog plays lower. But hey, let's talk about dog plays because there's dog plays in this bottom end. All right, I need some help with you on this next one because I wasn't able to find any like recent tape on KB Bular, and I know that you've watched the actual fights, but he takes on Tom Breeze and let's call it spade a spade. We're always looking for opportunities, especially when Tom Breeze is a minus 260 favorite. It's just like, give me someone with a pulse, someone with a little bit of heart, someone who can hang in whatever range this fight ends up taking place and cause some problems for Tom Breeze, who hasn't had the best history um, of one showing up to the fight on fight day. He's got a little bit of mental issues and stuff. But we're looking for an opportunity. Is KB Buller the guy at plus 220 to get the job done here? Yeah, I'm willing to take a shot on KB Buller right. at those odds. Just because, again, it's very big odds. Anytime- Tell me about him because I wasn't able to watch his last two fights because just, I just couldn't find them on the internet. <sighs> okay, so as much as KB Buller has got stuff going for him, I think the bigger story is Tom Breeze. Tom Breeze is known to get put in a spot. We like him. He's got good skills. He's got great technical boxing. Uh, his BJJ is pretty swift. It's pretty good. He just doesn't come through in these spots. The wins he has in the UFC, Luis Jutra, Cathal Pendry, Kaida Nakamura, they've all since been released. That's fine. The win over Sean Strickland, I don't even know. Or sorry, he lost to Sean Strickland. I don't even know where Sean Strickland is. Beats Dan Kelly. This is, this is where I want to start talking about him. The Dan Kelly fight is actually his middleweight debut. Prior to that, he had been fighting at 170 pounds. Mm-hmm. Coming up to 185 pounds, that's new territory for him. Because now he's not this big six foot three welterweight with some size to him and some long southpaw boxing from the outside, you know, crisp hands. Now he's a middleweight. Now he's going to have to fight some better guys. But they give him Dan Kelly, who has no knees, can't move, very stiff, very rigid. He looks good against Dan Kelly. There's a two year layoff in between that appearances between beating Dan Kelly and the next time you'd see him in the UFC against Brandon Allen. But the Cesar Ferreira fight, he pulls out of, right? Then he has a, just a bunch of canceled bouts. Then the Ian, Ian Heinish fight, this is booked for UFC on ESPN 5, okay? Going in, it's like the day of the fight, man. He has like an anxiety attack. It's listed as a panic attack. Like you talked about some mental illness. You have a panic attack backstage before a fight with Ian Heinish. Who, who has never had a panic attack. That guy's life is like, oof, he's had to overcome some shit. No time to panic, man. You just got to react. You pull out of the fight, okay? 
When he comes back against Brandon Allen, that's the first time since Heinisch. He didn't fight for a year after the panic attack. Then he comes back from the panic attack. This is only his second fight at middleweight. And it's realistically the other fight was against Dan Kelly. His second fight at middleweight, coming back from the panic attack, year-long layoff, he got smoked out of there by Brandon Allen. Now, mind you, Tom Breeze never been knocked out. Tom mm. Breeze never been hurt by a punch. Tom Breeze got absolutely smoked out of there by Brandon Allen, who's an up-and-coming prospect. That's bad news for Breeze. Since then, it just, it's been another eight months. You don't know what he, how good he is at middleweight. You don't know where the guy's head at. You don't know if... That was his first time getting knocked out. The panic attack was before the knockout. Do you think it's going to get any better? Do you think that's just a weight lift of off, off his shoulders? Do you not think he's going to be thinking, what if I get knocked out again? Like, it's just compounded. Mm-hmm. So now you talk about a guy that his best days were at 170, right? Um... His best days are at 170. He comes to 185. Sure. KB Bular is six foot four. He's a big guy. This is not just oh, a, a decent sized middleweight. Because I don't think Breeze is the biggest middleweight, even though he's six three. Don't get me wrong. His frame's not that big. No. That punching power was good at 170. It's not that good at 185, I don't think, unless you're Dan Kelly. If KB Bular just takes those punches, he's gonna just grind away at him. Now, now listen, KB Bular had fought virtually nobody until he fought Matt Dwyer's last time out. Matt Dwyer, former UFC veteran himself, fought in the UFC at 170. Probably shouldn't have been at 185. And it's a five round fight. It's actually two two going into the fifth, and Bular perseveres. But Bular's just he's training with Tanner Boser, right? They got a really good thing going on in that gym right now. Everybody's motivated. Everybody's making a lot of improvements. This guy's a big body. This guy's undefeated. He had a five year layoff during his career. Didn't take any wear and tear. Sharpened his tools. Got better at his ground game. But now, now you're seeing him at eight. No, he should have been on Contender Series. And he was supposed to be on Contender Series. Breeze has... Kopilov pulls out. Breeze needs a replacement. Bular and them, they're confident. They're confident that Breeze has got problems. And this kid's going to go out there and expose their arms. How's his game? You know what? He's a striker-first kind of guy. I think his striking is it's good. It's accurate. It, I wouldn't say he's as good as Breeze. Um... But Breeze has trouble maintaining that good striking beyond the first round. So if it goes out there and it's competitive for the, through the first round, and all of a sudden Breeze starts getting touched up a little bit, going to the second and third, then I think Bular pulls ahead. And the other thing with Breeze having that anxiety attack and then coming off the first knockout loss, I, I, I wouldn't put it past that Bular, who's not a known power puncher, doesn't just cause this guy to want a way out. You know, Your brain's telling you, I don't fucking want to be here. And now the, the cage door goes clink and you have to fight. You, when you get put in a bad spot, Maybe Breeze, it doesn't say power through, man. doesn't say power through. No, it no, says no I don't crowd, want to be here. That's a bad thing to bet on. No crowd could be good for this guy, though. Minus two, no, because he's going to hear the corner be like, he's breaking, he's breaking, he's breaking. Look at him, he's breaking, he's getting tired. And maybe, it's, it's it going to fucking maybe break Maybe the anxiety for him broken. came from having to strip down to his underwear and fight to the death with people in front of 10,000, 20,000 people. Uh, and millions yeah, at home. Could be. Could, listen, I, I don't know. I'm I don't not, know. I'm, I'm not, not in. T- I'm, I'm not, not his, I'm not I'm a not psychiatrist a here. Right, clearly just, not. Clearly both of us are not, but... Uh, that's dog pick number two. And am I super confident? No. I'm basically fading Breeze as much as I'm picking KB. I think KB's got good skills. Mm-hmm. I think he's green. He needs to develop. I'd rather see him on Contender Series. But uh, able body guy, an able body guy with some durability and a willingness to go out there and put a performance on his UFC debut is enough. And he's had two fights fall out. He's had more than enough training camp. He's not going to come in short notice. Okay. He's ready. Full camp. Ready to roll. And it's going to be a close first round. Breeze might even win the first round. But I got a feeling that KB takes, on, takes over after that. So 220 underdog. And he'll be way at the bottom of the ticket. But KB Bular. 
All right, we got uh, Rodrigo Nascimento taking on Chris Dacus. Rodrigo Nascimento, minus 265 favorite, Dacus, plus 225. I mean, it was only months ago where we got Rodrigo Nascimento against Dante Males at plus 100. I know, what was up with that? And then they opened this at minus 300. And I know, you go through, like, Rodrigo's... uh, Instagram and stuff. He's at ATT. He's Change putting in time with JDS. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. putting time with... He's got all the good coaching and stuff around him. But I think I agree with the line movement here. This fight is a lot closer than I think. I think Rodrigo's good. He's a 20, what 27-year-old heavyweight. Heavyweights typically develop like into their 30s. I right? agree. Um, so he's super, super young, raw. I think he gets by... Uh, uh, Dawkins here. Dawkins kind of just comes out, throws some, throws some heat with the with the hands early on in most of his fights, and if he's able to survive, it's going to be a lot better volume, a lot more, uh, a lot more uh, technically sound striking coming from Dawkins than what you, what you get from males. But I believe that I I, I think Rod- Rodrigo Nascimento is going to get through it if he gets this fight to the ground. Dawkins is at what Martinez BJJ is. He's actually a ground fighter. Yeah. Uh, most of his fights, though, you go through his record. It's all it's all on, it's all on the feet that most of the most of the work gets done. I think he'll probably be able to hang Rodrigo Nascimento. I'm I'm guessing has the advantage on the ground, but at minus two sixty five, minus three hundred. I would need it to drop considerably more than this. And it's I don't think it's going to get... I would want, like, minus 150, minus 175 to jump on board here. Minus 265. Like, we, we have a long ways to come down um, for me to get too excited about this play. So it's a pass, but Nascimento's the pick. Yeah, you know what? I think it's going to be a pass as well. I could be talked into the dog as well. It could be another dog or pass situation. Like, I could see making a third straight dog selection on Chris Doukas over Rodrigo Nascimento. Nascimento, yeah, okay, he's 27. He's a heavyweight, big heavyweight, tall guy, got good BJJs, a black belt, and he's training at ATT. That's all good narrative stuff. But as far as what we've seen on tape, like, man, he's very green. He's still got a ways to go. His fight with Michael Martinek, which is his contender series fight, that was his first fight in three years. And you know what? He, he rolls on top of him. He gets on top of him. He submits him first round. Don't really know what his gas tank's like. Don't know, really know what he's at. But his striking looks very slow. Well, I wouldn't say it's It's very plodding. It's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. You see improvements between the Martinez fight and the Dante Mays fight. Like, being an ATT, he's working on this shit. He's just not quite good at it yet. But his takedowns are not very good. He likes no. to prefer to get double underhooks, try to get a, a, a waist lock, body lock on you, take you to the ground. And from works there. against a guy like Mays, who has works no on a guy, a pro defense. boxer like Mays, who's got no takedown exactly. defense. And even then, it takes him two rounds to get Mays out of there. So it's like it's not. He's like. He's not as soon as you hit the ground, you're getting submitted. Now, with Doukas, it's like, oh, we haven't seen a whole lot of Chris Doukas' grappling. Chris Doukas is the older brother of fellow UFC veteran Kyle Doukas, who is a black belt, or uh, I think he's a brown belt. But he's a good grappler. We, he's a submission expert. We've seen his fight versus Brandon Allen. He looked better against Brandon Allen than Tom Breeze did. Can't mm-hmm. tell me otherwise on that. Yep. I know this guy's got some, some grappling as well. It's that you see in his debut against Parker Porter, he likes to throw them hands. He likes to get off to a quick start. He likes to take you out. I think this fight comes down to cardio, and it'd be a good live betting opportunity. Because really, when you look at Chris Doukas, and he has that loss to, I can't ever pronounce it, Aniwa Enziku? Oh, in, uh, Azuna and and Wanyu or Anyanwu. It's no disrespect to him. He's a badass. Well, mm-hmm. he's a 40-year-old stocky, absolutely fucking ripped that guy. 
But again, it's like you shouldn't be losing these spots. And after a decent first round, he starts to tire. Once he tires, he's got a problem on his hand. When you look at the win over Parker Porter, it's quick. When you look at a lot of his other wins, they're quick. Mm-hmm. His lo- all three of his pro losses are all by inside the distance finish once he starts to get tired. Nascimento hasn't given us a reason to think he's not durable. So if Delgas goes out there and styles on him in the first round, but it gets out of the first round and Delgas starts to tire and eventually Nascimento does end up on top of him, he probably does put him away. So this is definitely a live bet situation where early early, early line, I think I almost like Delgas. And if you let the fight go one round and Delgas looks good in the first round, you're, you're never going to get that price tag on him ever again. But with Nascimento at 265, you could let him maybe play out that first round. If he survives, he doesn't look like he's getting tired. It looks like Delkis is starting to slow down a little bit. Then you then you pull the trigger on him there. But I got this actually, I would line up closer to a, a pick him, really. It'd be like Nassimeno minus 140 as far as I'm concerned. So when you look at 225, just, it's a nice price tag. It causes you to want to take that, that pull he's on young, the He's young, developing. We just haven't seen enough things to yeah. uh, to be laying the, laying the, the juice like this. But if you stands. see Tapuria, Bular, and Daukas, like those are 225, 220, and 160 at the bottom of a PRP. But if if the PRP does then hit, like that's going to just juice it up supremely. As far as regular parlays, you can maybe add one of those guys to really juice it up. But realistically, let's put some of the safe guys together. And then as far as the other ones, you know, live plays, in-game, you can bet some props. If you want a little action per fight, bet it per fight. But uh, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of variables. A- anyways, kind of back to what you were saying. You open at 300, he's 265 now. Middling heavyweights, middling heavyweights. We talked about middling heavyweights. I don't think Aspinall's one of them. These are two of them, and uh, it could it could swing either way. So buyers beware. Well, Nascimento's still young day. and developing, so we'll see yeah, but where he, needs he to ends. Develop. Three we, year we'll long s- lane. He's had two fights in the last three years. Fair, but like, we'll see where on. he ends up. I'm not yeah. I'm not saying that he's going to be destined for middling heavyweight for the rest of his no, career. No, he's yeah, he's, he's at a great gym. You know, sure. uh, the right people are and putting their money and stuff. Who's the guy from uh, ATT? Dan Lambert. No, no, the other guy. The, uh, the Conan Silvera. No, the other guy. Which one? Which he, guy? What does he do? What does he do? What's he's his job role? Manager for a lot of the guys that don't speak English. He does their interviews and stuff. Oh, I don't know. Why does somebody You'd like him? You'd recognize his face. I'm no, sure but I would. Like, I mean, that, guy, that guy's, you know, he, you'll see him do, like, the interviews for, like, Johnny Lineker and stuff like that. Like, he, they see something in the kid. So, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not. Dokus could be good, too. He looked really good in his debut, but he's got to do that two, three more times before it's like, oh, shit, this guy's for real. And at 31, he needs to put a statement together against Nascimento. 100%. All right, we got Impa Casagne taking on Joaquin Buckley. Casagne, minus 245 favorite. Buckley, plus 205. Leaning towards the dog here again in this spot. Just that it's more of a price play. Uh, watching Casagne uh, against Mackie Patolo's last fight. Most of that fight takes place on the feet, and it's pretty damn competitive. Buckley watched his fight against uh, Kevin Holland, and like that guy is throwing heaters. Everything he throws, everything, is and you know he was three punch combo heaters. Within about four minutes, you're watching the fight, and you're like, "Does this guy just breathe loud, or is he gassing?" But like as the fight went on, he kind of continued. Uh, round three, obviously. Fell off, but that was shorter notice. Short I'm notice. expecting to see better, yeah. better from him. I think this fight is just closer. Like this is closer to 50, 50, 60, 40 than than the current price indicates. Um, you know, if Kisagne probably wants to maybe take this to the mat, but I don't know if he can. Buckley's a really short, stocky uh, guy. 
Uh, I tried to look up the fight between Logan Storley and Joaquin Buckley to see how that one played Logan out. Logan Storley's one hell of a wrestler. No, I know. Just to see what Buckley's take. I know that he got taken down a whole bunch in that yeah, fight. But, uh, yeah, I think this is pretty competitive. I see like Buckley throws heaters. He definitely was able to throw heaters all the way into round two. He got caught by just such a picture-perfect uh, straight right from uh, Kevin Holland to get finished in round three in that fight. But, like, it was competitive those first two rounds, and I think Kevin Holland, from what we've seen, the new Kevin Holland is a step up from Impa, in my opinion. So it's dogger pass, likely a pass, but uh, we'll see where your head's at. I almost, almost went with four dogs in a row right there because, yeah, I, I, I see the merit 100% to Joaquin Buckley. I think not only big takeaway, him versus Kevin Holland, man, he's throwing heat, and he carries it for like seven or eight minutes. But Kevin Holland is so long and so rangy that these missiles that this guy's throwing are coming up short. You give him a guy closer to his height, maybe he can put it together. And listen, he's five foot ten. Yo, uh, Buckley is. He used to fight at 170. He's not exactly the biggest middleweight. Mm. Now he gets a guy that's only five foot eleven. Same reach. Same reach, only an inch taller than him. Maybe these bombs do land. With Impa, Impa's been touched up before, right? It's just generally these guys don't have a, the most power. Patolo hits him with a couple good punches, but Patolo gasses after the first round, not able to carry it. I almost feel like if Buckley carries it for the first two rounds, why can't he teach Buckley something? gave up eight inches of reach in that fight against Holland. And you, when you watch that fight, that's exactly his problem. He couldn't oh, get inside he of range. He misses by six inches, and he's gonna, right? And, he was and getting, he's eight inches out. Yeah, he, like uh, Holland could just hang back and just counterpunch all day long. That's exactly it. Not only that, he takes the fight on short notice. He's huffing and puffing the entire time he gets there. But but we talk about Impa. Impa's so green. Impa's so young. Impa's making improvements. This kid's only 26 years old as well, Joaquin mm-hmm. Buckley. Only here's the key difference here, right? Impa Kasana guy turned professional in 2019. One year. One year of pro experience under his belt. And he's looked awesome. Good. He's won eight fights in a row. A split decision over Devorius Tubbs, but he's young. He's growing. The Kalen Hill fight, they didn't give him a contract. And he sat on the sidelines for a year. Comes back, beats Anthony Adams. Sugarfoot just lost his second contender series fight as well. Wins that one. Gets Mackie Patolo. Abysmal run in the UFC for Mackie Patolo. And not a 185er. Probably be best served at 170 if he could make that weight class. Beats Mackie Patolo in a competitive fight. But he tries to take Patolo down and he can't. Patolo's a boxer. Should be able to take this guy down. So to think that now the game plan is going to be go and take down Joaquin Buckley, I don't see it happening. But as we talked about, here's two 26-year-olds, and Impa turned pro in 2019 versus Joaquin Buckley, same age, five-time Bellator veteran, fought his last two fights for LFA, fought good guys, mm-hmm. been rounds. This guy's a lot further along in his process of developing. Impa probably got higher trajectory. He's a former collegiate football player. He seems like a better athlete. Mm-hmm. Seems like he's got better footwork. He doesn't have a great uh, gauge of distance. And with Buckley... If he's swinging punches on you, and you don't got a great date, Kevin Holland can gauge it. He's so big. He can jab, jab, right Eight hand. inches reach. So he was able to, and like he's Impa been getting better get at like punching up. at the, or being at the end of his punches. And this guy was throwing heat to the body too. That it's like you knew if that hits, you shit in blood for a week. At least. Hilarious rewatch that fight, but by the way. It's just like, because the, there's, there's no crowd. And uh, Kevin Holland, well, the, the breathing was very loud, but he was able to maintain. But no, Kevin Holland was just talking so much shit the entire time. It was re- it's a fun one to rewatch. It's a fun one to rewatch. And the thing with Kevin Holland, he gets in your head and he plays games and now you get caught playing his games. And I remember the commentary were like, this is two minutes into the second round because then he started getting tied around the, that three minute mark. They're like, 
Buckley hasn't really slowed down with these putts. Like, he's just throwing. It's all missing. Not all of it. A lot of it's missing. That's all you hear. The yeah. So now, you, now, you give him, now you give him more of a camp, right? He just got his UFC debut out of the way. He just fought a top 15 contender, right? That's all out of the way. And he's now taking an impa. 26, young, green, undefeated. And I tell you all the time, Paul, love to see these undefeated guys learn a lesson. Lose a fight. Learn. Get a takeaway. It's going to happen. He's still green. They're doing a good job of moving him along slowly, but it just so happens that Joaquin Buckley is not just your average 0-1 guy in the UFC. He's got some experience. He looked He's got some talent. Completely like he belonged against Kevin Hall in the first two rounds. And then fair, he got caught fair, by fair. just a beauty. But I, got, but, I, but, I, but I sat here and told you I got to Puria. I sat here and told you I'm going to take KB Buller. I sat here and, t- and told you I'm even going to ever so slightly, don't know why I'm going to do it, lean towards Dokas on this one. I, I pussed out on the Joaquin Buckley Fair. play. I pussed out on it. So I think I'm either pass is probably your smart move. Uh, but when you get a dirty parlay at the end of the week, it kicks a guy will be at like near the bottom of it. Your guy Tony Kelly looking looking good in his uh, 135 pound frame. Saw a picture up on the Guy's on the big. interwebs. He's big looking for 35. Looking pretty jacked. Uh, he takes on Ali Al Casey minus 230. Kelly plus 190. Al uh, what's your take here? Yeah, so all cases going to have a lot of problems here. Is that coming into the UFC, just he had fought on a limited... Brave is a great regional show. It's just some of the competition that he had fought on the regional scene, not exactly great. He's got a nasty guillotine choke, very tight. Maybe if he was to grab a hold of, of uh, Tony Kelly's neck early in the round while he still got some strength and Tony Kelly's not able to get out of it, maybe he was able to catch him in a submission. But beyond that, it's like he needs to rely on his takedown game for the course of three rounds in order to do anything. And he just didn't show you enough against Irwin Rivera. So against, against limited competition on the regional scene, he is strong. He is physical. He does have a d- decent takedown game. When he fought Irwin Rivera, I thought it was a very simple striker versus grappler. He showed good striking in the first round. He spent a lot of time at Phuket top team. He showed a nice little head kick, very, very uh, quick little snap on it as well. But beyond the first round, his striking goes out the window because he just reverts to what he's more, more comfortable with, which is his grappling. Even though he goes out there and he takes down Erwin Rivera multiple times, Rivera just gets up. He keeps just getting up. Rivera is not a known grappler, and uh, Casey just can't hold him down. Now the key difference is that Erwin Rivera's, you got the number right there. Is what is he? What five five foot four, five foot? Is he listed as a five six? Erwin Rivera, I think he's listed as five foot. I got it right here, five six. He's 5'6", and Tony Which Kelly... Which is probably like, eh. There's a, somebody a little later on the card where it's just like, oh, your reach is uh, 67 and a half, you say. It's not true. So, like, I feel like on, on Tapology, which is where I usually look, like, you're able to kind of submit whatever it no, is. No, Tony Kelly, sorry, yeah, yeah. It's always bullshit on Tapology, mm-hmm. but if you go to fight Like, metric, the actual they, UFC, they actually yeah, go get to fight measured metric. there. I mean, you keep talking. I'm gonna have to go. Well, to anyway, a so, the, so the point the point was that he was able to take down Erwin Rivera, who's a striker. But Erwin Rivera is five foot six. He's not exactly a grappler. He's not exactly the biggest of guys. But Tony Kelly, he's five foot nine. He's coming down from 145 pounds. This is the first time in his career he's ever fought down at 135 pounds. You see those pictures of him online. He's a big guy. If Alec Casey's struggling to take down Erwin Rivera, and furthermore is really struggling to hold Erwin Rivera down. He's not taking down and holding down the bigger man in Tony Kelly. Now, Tony Kelly looked like a million bucks in the first two minutes against Kamaka. Five, Footwork six. was 
awesome. Rivera. He's in and out. He's fast. He's agile. He's got good output. He's got some diverse attacking. And then call it, he took the fight at short notice. Call it the pressure of being in his UFC debut. Call it all these different things. He definitely gasses out in the later part of the first round. He looks tired in the second and the third. But, I mean, he's a dog. He's willing to stand with you and throw. He's got good combination punching. It's not the prettiest performance. It is sloppy at times. But it's just a display of heart. Now, mind you, this is a guy that had like one fight in three years prior to that. But he had been five rounds in the LFA versus Kevin Aguilar. It was before it was named LFA. LFC. Um, five rounds of Kevin Aguilar. Split decision loss to him. It's like he's got a willingness. He's got good cardio. But he was short notice. Tough matchup. And Kamaka looked fast. And Kamaka's hands looked tight. And Kamaka took him down five times. Mm -hmm. And he overcame all of those issues and gave this guy a damn good fight. Yeah, well, there's bullshit round three. uh, Nut shot, which saved Kamaka energy. He was wilting. Tony Kelly was coming on. That that was kind of... uh, That was super tilted. Now, Kamaka took him down five times, which is a problem because Alakasi's going to try to do the same thing. The Mm -hmm. difference is that Alakasi's not going to be able to keep that wrestling going like Kamaka, I don't think. And then beyond that is that Kamaka's just the bigger, stronger man, and he wasn't able to hold him down either. So same thing. If Alakasi does manage to take him down and he's not able to hold him down, then what you have is Tony Kelly popping up and putting it on him. One thing that I was definitely looking at was... uh, so, so Kelly beat this Andy... Before the Kamaka fight, he beat Andy Brossett. It was 2-5 and five of the guillotine choke. The two wins before that, Kevin Aguilar and Levi Moles are both split decision. That dates back the span of five years. So he has one finish in five years, and it was over an opponent that was 2-5. and five. Alec Casey, meanwhile, has finished a lot of these lower-end opponents, but his last three wins are the three best guys he's fought, a little bit of a competition joke, all decisions. This fight's going to decision. I'm almost fucking 100% sure of it. But it's minus 195. Fight goes the distance. So you're not actually getting a good price on it. But what I'm saying is that I got Tony Kelly. Tony Kelly's minus 230. If I didn't feel comfortable with, my, with, with Tony Kelly at 230, I would just take fight goes the distance. Don't give a shit who wins. It's going the distance. And you're getting a better price on that instead of just betting a straight up Kelly play. All right, cool. Now we got uh, Omar Morales taking on Giga Chakads. Minus 145, Morales, a plus 125, Chikadz. Any strong leans here? Yeah, so originally it was like, wow, do I smell another dog play here in Giga Chikadz, plus 125? He's just an excellent striker. We all know about this. We know about his pedigree. We know about Mm -hmm. the Kyukushin Karate Black Belt. We know about his time spent with the Glory Kickboxing Organization, which is the most prestigious kickboxing organization on the planet. We know about all this. You got to take this guy down. If you don't take this guy down, you're in for a world of shit. So when it gets announced that he's against Omar Morales, (laughs) Omar Morales is just going to stand and strike with him. This is a Giga win. The problem is is that Giga's striking translates a lot better to kickboxing than it does to MMA because he's a point-style fighter. Mm -hmm. For a guy that just has such a wicked striking acumen, he doesn't have a whole lot of power. Again, you look at his MMA record, he's not guys out. Damian Manzanares, 0-1. CJ Baines, (laughs) 2-31. 2-31. He he knocks those guys out, no doubt about it. 0-0, Kevin Ceron. Everybody that he's fought has a losing record, and like some of them are laughable. Julian Hernandez, 0-13. Anthony Ross, 1-10. Yeah, and these are all first-round knockout wins for him. They're literally all against, like, they're basically like throwing me or you in there. So now he them. gets, now he draws Brandon Davis. I'm, now, I'm sure now, those guys would probably kick my <laughs> ass, too. But, yeah, know. maybe not CJ Baines, but I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> he has been two guys, so what'd they look like? Yeah. Uh, so now he takes an actual fighter on in Brandon Davis. And Brandon Davis is 2-5 and five in the UFC, but let's not even talk about that. Brandon Davis has a pulse. He's got a willingness to fight. He's a scrappy guy. That's the first real opponent he takes on, and he wins. Split decision. 
The knockout wasn't there. He didn't... I, I just honestly... I, Brendan Davis is able to last with him. Jamal Emmers, who literally... I don't think he figured out the fight had started till about nine minutes into it. But fuck, man. Like, just a terrible game plan. And Jamal Emmers is known as a chinny opponent. But the power's not there. Wins a split decision nope. over. Erwin Rivera... is super durable. Erwin Rivera's 5'6". Tougher than a $2 steak. Who? Erwin Rivera. Very durable. Very durable. Now, Erwin Rivera stands at five foot six. We discussed that. And like he's uh, got like little, little, Chica- alli- little alligator arms, 68 inch. <laughs> right, of course, of course. Giga Chikots is six feet tall, okay? Yeah. Has a 74 inch reach. Yeah. Didn't hurt him. Stood at range. No, he won it cleanly. I think he scored like 70 points on DraftKings. It was like a clean. He, he took it was him down clean, at one point. He was, was tired a, of striking with him. He took him down. It was a like, clean win, and he has like real pretty looking strikes. But yeah, they're they're not packing a punch. So this is like an MMA striker versus a kickboxer, is what you're saying. Yeah, well, then you look at his glory fights, and it's the same thing, right? So karate's not, not all karate's created equal. You think about karate, you think about Leota Machida, right? Then there's that like American-style long pant karate, which is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. That has proven to be the most effective style of karate. Then you you have Kyukushin Karate. There's, there's nobody rocking that. Uh, that Marcin Pracnio, he was rocking that. Oh, yeah, good Didn't times. work for him. George St. Pierre, that's his base. That didn't win him world championships. Wrestling did. Mm-hmm. You have Giga Chikots. There's no money in kickboxing, and the, uh, there's no more matchups for him, and he's not a superstar in the kickboxing because he's not finishing guys. It's the logical choice to take MMA fights. He can beat low-end guys. He's 3-0 in the UFC, and I like Brandon Davis, and Jamal Emmer's got some upside, and Irma Rivera is tougher than a $2 stake. They're not bad wins. By, by no stretch, they're not bad wins. I just mean to think he's just going to beat every striker he faces because he's some super high-caliber strike. Bullshit. It's bullshit. Omar Morales, 34 years old, maybe seems a little bit old considering he's just coming to his own. This is actually his featherweight debut. So he fights Benitez at 155. He takes on uh, Jung, Young Ma, Jung Young Ma at 55. This is his 45 debut. The Weird. other Young Kim. 34 years old coming down. But one thing with him at lightweight is he is strong, man. Big leg kick, big right hand. He's very difficult to push back. He doesn't throw a ton, mm-hmm. but when he does, it's meaningful. The Benitez fight, Benitez is in it with him early, but then he starts to touch him, and he hurts him. Now, here's an interesting thing. Omar Morales, again, known as a murderous power puncher, gets his contender series fight against Harvey Park, knocks him senseless in the second round after buckling his leg in the first, gets Dung Yun Ma, can't put Dung Yun Ma out. Dung Yun Ma has five losses in the UFC, four of them are by knockout, three of them in the first round. Murderous power puncher Omar Morales couldn't knock him out. Mm-hmm. Gabriel Benitez, very durable. Couldn't knock him out. Giga, not knocking guys out. Striker versus striker. This is going the distance. This is going the distance, and I think Omar Morales is going to land the more meaningful shots, and I think that he will sprinkle in a takedown. He ended up on top of Dong Yan Ma and Gabriel Benitez, and his, his, his top game is actually pretty legit. It's just Over he doesn't two and pursue. and a half is minus 220. He doesn't pursue a whole lot of takedowns. But if he does end up on top, I think he'll be okay. So he's got that in the back pocket. He could take down Giga Chikots. Giga's no good on the ground. If he doesn't take down Giga Chikots, what's the way to beat Kyukushin Karate Paul? Dutch style Muay Thai. And I, I, I honestly think that the leg kick, the outside game, that big right hand, uh, Giga will manage the distance better. Giga will throw kicks. But Omar Morales is good at catching kicks and converting them to trip takedowns. So if that's the case, Giga doesn't want to get taken down. He doesn't throw the kicks. Morales just ever so slightly. They're both low output. Mm-hmm. But the low output, stronger guy, a little more zip on his punches is Morales. So I got Morales. I got Morales by decision. I got the fight goes into distance. Tracy Cortez takes on Stephanie Egger. 
Uh, Edgar coming in on relatively short notice, but she's no slouch. Uh, Tracy Cortez is a minus 200 favorite. I think she was like minus 300 a day ago. Uh, money is coming in on Edgar, who can be had for plus 170. What's your take here? Yeah, so I think I'm going to end up with Tracy Cortez, and I've got absolutely very abysmal faith in it. Edgar is no joke, and Edgar max- matches up with her pretty well here. It's just the short notice nature of Stephanie Edgar making her debut. Edgar fought like a month ago, though. It, was it even a month ago? I thought it was less than that. The, nothing f- happens in the fight, though, Paul. She doesn't throw. She throws one single strike. It's overhand right into a body lock clinch, takes her down. No, I know. She's fighting absolute... Sh- like, or, or, like eh, She's fought in it like, was a month Invicta ago, yeah. and stuff. Yeah, so Sinja Kiefer, I watched that fight at Buddy MMA Clash 3. Yeah, there wasn't much there. She just kind of pushed in, took her down. Once she took her down, she just had her way with her. This is a great grappler. My issue she's with Cortez is... Cortez, Cortez is not a great grappler. She kind of wants to wrestle. She gives up a lot of like uh, height, reach, size in this fight. Like I don't think this is a good spot for no, Tracy Cortez I, I, at I, all. I, I honestly agree. And if it wasn't for the fact that Edgar was coming in a short notice, I'd pull the trigger. But Tracy Cortez has a good gas tank. And as long as she doesn't get submitted in the first two rounds, she'll break her down she'll take her out. I think that's the way it plays out. Stephanie Edgar is fucking OG, man. This is a girl that uh, we talk about judo and, you know, oh, maybe... Who were we talking about in judo earlier? He's got a brown belt. Was it? Uh, oh, yeah. Poor old Alan Bodo. No, the, Stephanie Edgar's a legitimate judo black belt. She won the uh, European under-23s. She actually defeated Ronda Rousey in a judo match. So as far as her judo pedigree goes, it's second to none. She transitions to MMA. She's looking good. I mean, she actually beat Meryl Barella in an Italian regency. Barella's, I get it. She's cut from the UFC. And she's long, but it's just you're, you're fighting talent that eventually made it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Good start. The Alexa Connors fight in Victa is what's the most telling. Now, it's four years ago, no doubt. But after a first competitive first round, she starts to get tired. The more tired she gets, Paul, her just striking is not there. It's very robotic. It's very stiff. It's very rigid. And it's very easy to time. Alexa Connors absolutely thrashes her in the third round. It's probably a 10-8 round. She ends up losing a split decision, and then that's been her career. She resurfaced for Ryzen, Ryzen 17, against uh, Reina Miura, King Reina, who's a fan favorite out that way. And she put on... One hell of a show against Raina Miura. She looked good. She looked solid. Losing to Gabby Garcia at ADC sees is no fucking joke, man. That's a feather in your cap. You're going against Gabby Garcia. If you're sitting on a computer right now and you don't know who that is, Google that really quickly. Monster. She's a BJJ black belt. She's a judo black belt. She's big for the weight class. She's strong. She's got a really good body lock takedown. She really likes the trips from that inside clinch position. Alexa, er, uh, uh, Tracy Cortez's takedown defense, not that good. Her, get, her ground game off her back, not that good. You saw her actually struggle in a few spots against Maria Agapova on the ground. Her fight with Aaron Blenchfield, I thought she lost. The notable thing there is that Blenchfield's 19 years old and was able to put on a grappling clinic. That fight was in 2019. Tracy Cortez needs time to develop. Edgar's already a seasoned veteran. Edgar's already competed internationally in both judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu and is now coming to the UFC. Just fought a month ago. She's got a lot of good stuff going her way. But I go back to the Alexa Connors fight, and I think that's what's going to happen. Tracy Cortez has a notable striking advantage here, even though she's going to get hit because her striking defense is not very good. 
she, she keeps coming forward, and I think that she will break Egger down as Egger's just not known for her cardio. Winning, by the way, in a, a month ago, that's fine. With nothing happening to exert you, there's no there's no experience. You're not you're not banking rounds. Whereas Vanessa Mello made that a lot closer against Tracy Cortez than I would have ever liked to have seen. But at least it's giving Tracy Cortez rounds to figure it out, getting more octagon time, getting more cage time, getting more comfortable. She's got three brothers. Two of them are professional fighters. One of them is an ex-professional fighter who ended up getting, I think it was cancer, something sidelined him, um, which kind of motivates her and her story and all this and that. But but at the end of the day, like she comes from a fighting family. She's really motivated to do this. She's going to make improvements, and she's getting ring time. And ever so slightly, in a greasy fight that are going to probably come down in the third round, Tracy Cortez is going to win it. Now, at minus 200, is that the kind of thing I want to have a ton of faith in? No, no. I, I'm, I'm reading it like you. If I was going to pick my favorite underdogs on this card, you know, you got your Tapuria, Boulard, Doukas, Buckley, uh, Egger, you know? it's there's, there's good dogs on this card. I don't feel the need to force all of them, and that's why I'm not going to force Buckley. I'm not going to force Egger. I think I'm okay. going to go with the other three, and I'm just going to hit a hard pass on this one. If not, Chase Cortez will Here's be what again on this. Here's nonsense. what happened in the last little bit. I did have a uh, Stephanie Egger uh, play in plus 170. I, took, I just cashed out of that, but I added Egger by submission plus 900. There you go. There you go. If she tires out and doesn't get through it, like she's probably going to have to do it in the first round or so. Um, I just think that I see a lot of Tracy Cortez trying to get the fights, fight to the mat in Aaron all of her fights here. Put it on her. And I just worry about you know, armbar from guard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Stephanie Egger, by the way, is the kind of person that armbar you from guard. She's a judo specialist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's a BJJ black belt. Come on. Nine to one? <laughs> Yeah, that's not actually the Get it in you. Anyway, last fight that we've got. We got Tajir Ulanbekov taking on Bruno Silva. Tajir, minus 400 favorite. Bruno, plus 325. Tajir, number one ranked flyweight prospect coming out of Russia. Team Habib guy. You see all of the regular guys in his corner. Watching some tape on him. I think the one thing that and it's probably because he's a flyweight, he's a five foot seven uh, flyweight. Tall, yeah. He's very tall, but he doesn't seem like when you see Habib or Islam, like they have, especially Habib, just a certain level of strength to. It's the same game. It's push the guy up against the cage, take him down, arm lock, right? Like grabbing their uh, their their wrist control. Um, from the other side, it's the same type of chain wrestling, but it just doesn't look as powerful coming from a five foot seven flyweight. Um, I was hoping for a reason to uh, maybe maybe fade him, but this ain't the spot. Bruno Silva is a flyweight that can only fight ten rounds or, or ten minutes. Um, he's gassed out real hard in his previous fights in the UFC. Here, um, I'm not entirely sure what he's the particularly the best at. I, I think I don't think that Tajir is on the same level as maybe a, a Habib or a. Or an Islam, even, but he has enough to get through this spot. I don't, I, I mean, some sort of submission is obviously live with a very inexperienced young guy like this who's always going into uh, or trying to get into grappling exchanges. But Bruno, once you get to round three, Bruno's a pretty cooked. 
Um, you, you saw that in the Khalid Taha fight. It's just like he tried to chase some takedowns, doesn't really have any sort of wrestling. He's not going to try to take down uh, Tajir, but Tajir should be able to push him up against the cage, get him down to the mat. As long as he can stay out of uh, an early submission where they're both dry, he should cruise uh, in this fight, probably by decision. But third round finish for our third round win for Tajir wouldn't surprise me either. What's your take here? I think Tajir absolutely styles on him, makes it look easy, and it shows you that he's another one of these dominating Russian prospects. He's not just a Russian prospect. He's a Dagestani prospect. That's what we love first and foremost. He's not one of these guys that his last name ends with a E or a, or a K. If it doesn't end with a V, it's not for me. This guy is inner circle with Khabib and the family. Now, he's listed under a few publications as Khabib's cousin. I think they all just call each I think each it's other lost cousins. in translation. I think it's just like, this is my cousin. Oh, this is my cousin. I think it's like a, a term of endearment. Yeah. Um, it's like he's my friend. He's my brother. Yeah, right. But, I mean, what does this picture look like to you, Paul? That middle one there. Oh, is that Tajir and Habib like... As Tajir, children, Tajir and, and Habib as children. I thought that one was send super. Send me that picture. I know. I so thought that I can, one was super uh, interesting. Throw it up for the people right now. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Anyways, I thought that one was super interesting. Then you click on it, right? And it's uh, it's all in Russian. Whatever you, you just Google translate it, and uh, it's the distant 2008. This is 12 years ago. The distant 2008 training camp in the mountains of Tumadinsky region was Can't pre- even pronounce was pre- was preparing for the Dagestan Combat Sambo World Championship. Seeing me off to Fight Island this morning, Khabib. Okay. He's 2008's 12 years ago. The guy's 29 now. The picture's taken. He's like 16 years old. Training in the fucking mountains with Khabib Nurmagomedov for a combat sambo championship. By the way, he's a six-time Russian combat sambo champion. Oh, and a one-time world champion at combat sambo. The guy's fucking cast iron, man. He's not just one of these guys that's in the camp. You look at stuff that's like, it's all in Russian. Who cares? We're just watching. We're watching. Don't care about the listening. It's Khabib all like blogs. These guys are tight, man. They're like swing by Tagir's place. He we need to pick him up for practice. Physically strong. Maybe if he, you would think he doesn't look very physically strong, but it's similar to we like Islam Makachev. We like Khabib Nurmagomedov. We like these guys that are short, stocky, stout power wrestlers. This but guy's not. This guy's more no, long. No, he's more of a Zabit, right? Mm-hmm. He's got a long, lanky frame, and as a result, they got a lot of leverage on guys. John Jones isn't short, stocky power wrestler. He's a long guy that's got leverage. This guy makes leverage work for him. Okay. So he starts off his career now. He's a combat sambo world champion. He starts off his professional career, easily racks up a first nine victories. He wins the Fight Night Global Flyweight Championship, beats Vartanian, Asertanian, uh, Shadil, Hoduko. So these, are, these are good fighters. He's able to pick up a couple victories, and he gets Zalgas Zumagulov. Zalgas Zumagulov now fights in the UFC, right? Lost his debut. Total bullshit decision, in my opinion. Is a tough fucking dude, okay? He takes this fight at Fight Night Global 88. The fight takes place in Kazakhstan, Okay. Zalga Zumagulov is a national hero in Kazakhstan. Ulan Bekov, Tagir, goes out there and dominates all five rounds. He takes him down eight times. He does not lose any of the five rounds. They give it to a, deci- a majority decision to Zalgas. Interesting to note, they were so disgusted with that decision. Khabib's dad, who was his chief cornerman, by the way, they all just shake their head and walk away. He never fought for the Fight Night's global promotion ever again. He instead went to an all-Dagestani promotion uh, owned by Kadarov called GFC, where he's racked up three victories over three decent fighters. That's how disgusted they were at that. Now, he, was, he was the champ in that yeah, organization. I watched his last two. His one against Danielson. Watch the fight with Zalgus and tell me one round where he loses. He takes, him down, he takes Zalgus down eight times. And does he do a whole lot with the takedowns? No. Did 
early young Khabib in the UFC do much with his takedowns, Paul? Not really, no. No, he just controls you. Absolutely dominates you and controls you. I honestly think he goes out there and outstrikes Bruno Silva if he pleases. But the, the better path to victory is to take Bruno Silva down. Bruno Silva is a training partner of Henry Cejudo. He's worked with the, the, the Pitbull brothers. There's, Cejudo's not even in the gym right now, is he? And I don't think the Pitbull brothers are putting hard work in with Bruno Silva. But all the same, he can wrestle a little bit. He can strike a little bit. But you've seen through two fights in the UFC. The Taha fight doesn't look great, okay? His grappling doesn't look very good. And here's one very notable thing. Taha is a German striker, okay? When Taha ended up on top of Bruno Silva, who I think is listed BJJ Black Belt, he's got no game off his back. It was back. round three. because like He's got one... no game off his back. He no. gets submitted. And it's round three. Like, once this guy gasses, like, he's, he's cooked. Now he gets David Dvorak, right? The first round, he takes down Dvorak. But he's not High able to submit fight. him. Yeah, it's a good first round. I thought he won the first round. Uh, it's a good... Now, in the second round, he starts to fatigue. Now, by the way, the later the fight goes... When David Dvorak, a debuting Czech prospect, ends up on top of Bruno Silva, he's got no game off his back. So whereas I'm always weary, debuting Russians taking on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, what if he puts his head into a submission? The, the guy has literally shown nothing off his back. Mm-hmm. Maybe he tries to get up, but he's not looking to submit. That'll be the key difference. I think Tagir absolutely styles on him because I don't think you're going to get him at minus 400 by the time this fight happens. If you're looking to get on stuff early... I like him and Aspinall, or minus 400, minus 500. You parlay them together, you don't even get even money. Those are our two building blocks. From there, we're going to look to add in those other pieces. But when, but when the odds makers tell you that they like 260 Tom Breeze, fuck no. 265 Rodrigo Nascimento, no way. 245 Kasanage, I'm just not seeing it personally. 200 crazy... Uh, for 200 for Tracy Cortez I don't like that you make a lot of sense with Edson Barbosa you add him on a ticket with those two you get I think I already yeah I have Aspinall and uh and Barbosa together yeah and I can see I can see Tagir just winning the decision because Bruno has shown some durability and he didn't get finished in his prior to UFC fights and with Tagir he likes to have a slow grind on you and try to finish you later so maybe it goes to decision but I, I like this kid he's uh yeah, I would he's, be worried about. I like. I'd be worried about the props with Tajir because I, I have. Yeah, Bruno Silva has shown us that like if this is a high pace type of fight and he's getting dominated, I could see not a quit job per se. After the Taha fights, like you can't he necessarily by you Taha, can't necessarily man. be like, hey, this guy's gonna get to the final bell if he's down two rounds. That Tajir could get the finish. Yeah, quite easily. All right, let's uh, jump into the DraftKings uh, breakdown for this right, real let quick. Bring down let's the pull Draft up the Kings. boards there, Maddie. All right, top of the board, Tom Aspinall, Alan Bodeau. Pretty clear that we both like Aspinall in this spot. Tajir, like him as well. It's, it's, uh, I mean, that's a real decision point that you're going to have to have this week. Tom Aspinall or Tajir Ulenbekov at the top? Well, I, I think you go Aspinall, the... First you're, round finish. You're going for the first round huge. finish from Aspinall. The higher upside could potentially be Alan Beckoff if he goes out there and scores you your eight, nine takedowns. I don't think Bruno Silva's getting back up. I think if he does get back up and he goes right back down, it's not going to translate to a 17 takedown performance. And because he likes that grinding, smothering style without a TKO or a submission, it could be slightly on that on that lower scoring style. So so it's I a tough I prefer- decision. Most people are gonna have one of those top two guys, I imagine, this week. Yeah, yeah. And you Listen, got Nassimento you'd love to get both and Breeze them, and Cortez. That seems like a pretty dead range to me. 
Yeah, uh, looking yeah, looking at it through there, I don't like Rodrigo Nascimento. I mean, could he go out there? If Chris Dokas gets tired after the first and rolls over sometime in the second and the third, Rodrigo Nascimento... Yeah, I don't like him as a player. He would most definitely be the play. With Tom Breeze, you got to believe Tom Breeze is going to go and finish a guy that, A, he's never been finished. He's never... He's never uh, He's never even lost for that matter. With Tom Breesman, he's such a head case that I don't think he's ever going to fulfill that potential that you want him to. I, I looked at you in the eyes. I was like, oh, dude, Mursak Betridge is a flop, eh? You always think he's going to be so good, and he just never is. It's like, you, you betting him in this spot? It's Damon Jackson. Yeah, I'll let it roll one more. No, don't. Don't do it. He's got a way of losing. He's got a way of getting in front of his own fucking way. That's what he does. Tom Breeze is the same way. Now, now, Mercer Beckers never pulled out a fight due to anxiety, so I gotta just I can't I can't back Breeze. With Tracy Cortez, you could put it on Edgar, but Edgar could slow her down. If it's mostly grappling, it's I like Edgar and GPP. Yeah, to be honest, you're not too far if off. She on gets that. A, an early finish here. Cassana guy's not shown finishing. He's still very green, right? He likes the leg kicks. He likes to kind of swarm you up against the cage, hold you up against the cage, kind of steal the round, so to speak. But I don't think he's a super high score. Edson Barbosa, if he shows up like 70% of the man that he is capable of being and has been in the past. He style on Mac yeah, one. Yeah, and he, maybe he gets he taken down. Him. There could be some dicey situations. Historically, Edson's not the best drafting score. Maybe that bites into ownership for him this week. I definitely could see like a, a return to like the spinning back kick kind of knockout here, though. That's how big I think the gap is between... Maquan and Edson on the feet. Uh, I think Maquan's got a way of when you're that good looking, you you don't get hit. Like he, <laughs> he just he'll 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 evade he'll evade to not take the meaningful damage. Like Fair. he's got a way of he's got a his way. His legs of, are going to be sore the next day. Yeah, I'll tell damn, you that much. Damn right, he's got a way of holding on. Uh, honestly, like I could see Ben Rothwell putting Tybura away. So that one looks that one looks tempting. It's just no, he just missed, doesn't. Uh, Tony Kelly, eighty seven hundred. Ali Al Casey. So the way Kelly threw over 100 significant strikes his last time out while getting taken down five times, if Alakasey doesn't get these takedowns, he's going to look to push it. Alakasey is durable. I don't see Kelly getting a finish on that one, but I can see Kelly at 8,700 yielding you a good result. Mm-hmm. With uh, Zalal, Zalal's on the slower of the scoring side. Striking, there's not enough of it. It's just it's low volume. It's not a ton of power. He's only got two knockouts in his entire career. I, I don't think he's putting Tapuri away. As far as him going out and scoring five, six takedowns, which is what he's been doing, and that's his way of scoring, it's going to be difficult against Tapuria. And he doesn't do a whole lot with the takedowns. So I don't love Zalala 8,600. I think Tapuria at 7,600 would be the better flip side I mean, play guy to just that. just has first round finishes stacked on each other in his, on his yeah. record. If Marcin Tabora is taking on a middle, like uh, this, I guess Rothwell's considered middling. If Tabora is taking on some, some very green European heavyweight at 7,700, maybe he boots him lopsided in the head. Problem with Rothwell is like he's been booted lopsided in the head. And he's so cast iron. Low volume heavyweight fight. But he's very low volume. He needs the finish. He's got a 10-figure guillotine he hasn't pulled out in a while. That's possible. He's also got that good little, you know, left hook over the top as as Tybura kind of slows away. The real move here is Ben Rothwell spends five minutes in the clinch, up against the cage, holding on to him. The second round, Tybura's tired. Open up your hands. He'll have them down. You'll catch him, knock him out. Ben Rothwell could be a good playoff. Uh, Deplacis would theoretically be a good play. He's only 8,400. He could get the win. He could score a lot as well. Perez is super durable. Super durable. And he's got a way of surviving. He's a a natural survivor. BJJ Black Belt, good chin. He makes it work for him. Omar Morales versus Giga. That's going the distance. Morales is not going to land any more than 60 significant strikes. He will get the decision victory. At 8,300, he's just about worth it. Sandhagen, five rounds to work with. Flip side to that, you could definitely take Marlon Morales as well. He's only eight thousand dollars. He's got five rounds to work with. I just, I really think so that the like later rounds, like every single, he week. needs to get that finish. He needs like to every single finish. week, flip a coin on the main event or or one of these fights. Like that's kind of you're gonna probably want one of the guys in the main event. I don't know 
which side I really want to be on. I think either one of them. If Moritz gets an early finish in the first couple rounds, he's going to end up being on a winning lineup. Not necessarily, I guess, if that is the case. If this goes five rounds and the type of volume that uh, that Sandhagen puts up, like without a doubt, eighty two hundred, he ends up on like the top lineups, and you're going to need him. Yeah, so and you know what? You go, go back two weeks ago, Adesanya versus uh, Paulo Costa. It's just like, oh man, it seems like a it seems like a fifty fifty fight. Oh geez, I don't know. And not. then and right, and Adesanya just looks like a million bucks. Holy fuck, that was not a fifty fifty fight. Then last week we got Holly Holm, Irene Aldana. I don't know. I got home. It kind of looks like a fifty fifty fight. No, not a fifty fifty fight whatsoever. She absolutely goes styles. This got the making of it. I don't know it's probably a fifty fifty fight. If Sanhagen goes out there competes to his abilities, like you said, puts on a show. He's going to score big. If Marlon puts on the show, he needs that first-round knockout because beyond that, the output will tail off. He won't add in the takedowns. Key to beating Sanhagen is shoot those takedowns. Without that, I just don't think there's quite enough, but he is only 8,000, 8, and he's got five rounds to work with, and he's a guy that's... Who knocks out Aljamain Sterling? Nobody. Who knocks out Jimmy Rivera? He's got the oh, yeah, power. Nobody. Like, yeah, if he touches you, you're in a world of shit. It is his last two fights haven't gone his way, and I think it's a cardio issue. If he shored that up, great. If not, he's dealing with you know, altitude Sanhagen. It's going to be a long night. All right, we're just about out of here, but before we go, give them, or drop the PRP on them. So this is a greasy PRP because we got underdogs, and they're big underdogs. I always sit here and try to give you, you know, nine favorites, two dogs, but in this case, we got Sanhagen favorite, Barbosa favorite. the guys who you think are going to win. Well, yeah, no, no, but you just naturally always have a couple underdogs in every card. Um, we're going with favorites off the top. Sanhagen, Barbosa, Ben Rothwell, Dragos Duplacis, Tom Aspinall. Um, first dog is going to be Ilya Tapuria. Kiki Boulard, dog number two. Uh, Chris Doukas is going to be dog number three. Ooh. Impa Kasana guy, I am going to take him. He's the favorite. Tony Kelly's the favorite. Uh, Omar Morales is the favorite. I'm going to take Tracy Cortez. Really don't like that, and I can see the dog play, but I'm going to take her. And then uh, Tagir, my boy. Ain't nothing going wrong with Tagir. Have Russian prospects blew it for me in the past? Not very often. And honestly, this guy's like, he's not Kadi Sabragamov. He's like inner circle. Kadi Sabragamov tried family. to go into that They're circle. They're brothers. Imagine Kadis is like, oh, you know, the late great father of one Khabib is going to sit here and watch practice. That guy would have got fucking hoofed out of practice 10 minutes in. Let's be real. Only the finest survive in that inner circle. Oh, yeah. In the inner, in the Nurmaga Madoff family circle, you only get the fine. Well, I mean. You can't say Tahuga was a bum performance because it wasn't. You know, does, does he always do that? Yeah. Are they always close? Yeah. Is there an argument he won? Yesterday, yeah. But it's like, come on. The yesterday they opened, uh, they opened uh, Makachev versus RDA at like minus 800 plus 500. It got bet down, small limits pretty much immediately to minus 333 plus 275 or so. Which I think is a lot more on like minus 800. Islam seemed kind of crazy. I know that they've already set this. Set this uh, game plan before. Habib did it years ago. I'm not sure I'm willing to put... I don't think Islam equals Habib, though. Um, I guess if you're going to make that fight again, they would do that. Yeah. I'm worried. I'm worried right now. Maybe it's just like we're a week, a couple, like a week out from... Or two weeks out from Habib uh, fighting Gaethje, which is a terrifying fight. That's but the after fight. After seeing uh, Zubera, Zubi, go out there... Miss weight by five pounds. That's a strategic move. And then not really shoot for takedowns. Kind of tire out in round three. Lose round three very definitively. Classic Zuberto Hugo. I'm worried about what goes on at camp when uh, Abdulmanap, uh, rest in peace, is not yeah, in the room. Yeah, I wonder that. I'm about- worried about. I'm worried about Makachev now. Now I'm starting to freak out about Habib. 
and maybe I'm overthinking these things, but like just seeing Zuby kind of go out there, I know that some people are like, oh, well, I scored two rounds from I, like, I lost money on it, and I had no problem with Dewadu winning the decision there. Um, Close fight. Zuby yeah, ran okay away for the last like. Well, he thought he was up too. Man. Well, you weren't. You can't. You can't go no, and do right. that. No, right. You can't assume that. Even though the third those judge... rounds were close, like I didn't feel like I was robbed by any means. Um, when you look at the stats at the end of the fight, he was outstruck two to one. He only got one takedown at like at the end of round two. I had no problem with the decision whatsoever. I'm worried about what's going on in that camp. I'm scared for Habib uh, against Justin Gaethje. To be perfectly honest, right now. Listen, it is what it is. I think those guys are paying their respects to the late great by going out there and winning world titles and doing the best they can. Yeah, the one thing, though, is that there used to be a time where it was like, fuck, man, if I eat this piece of tiramisu, he's going to kill me. But now, without somebody killing you for eating the piece of tiramisu, maybe you eat it. Then maybe you don't make weight. Mm -hmm. Then maybe you tire after two rounds. There's levels, though, right? is a natural grappler, and Khabib's a natural grappler, and Islam Makachev is a natural grappler. Those guys are all real deals. Zabit loves Zabit. Not a natural grappler, not the real deal. Uh, this kid's a natural grappler. He doesn't have the same height, but he's, uh, he's actually 29, by the way. So, like, whereas 25-year-old, sub-25, Jordan, this is close to fucking me. And half decent of Don't bet these guys. On. Right. In the, in the case of Zalal versus Tupuria, they're both sub 25. So you just got to make a call. But yeah, as far as like giving these guys time to mature, he's fought five rounds in Russia against tough competition. He's more battle tested, right? 29 years old. He's only like a few years younger than Habib, who's his cousin, man. Yeah, I like him. So that's about it. Hopefully we can crush a PRP because honestly, just because of the way the dogs play out on this card and they're being two to one dog choices, it would be one hell of a play. But if not, let's definitely get a three, five and seven and make some money. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, Cody Saftik, breaking down the fights as always. Thanks to producer Matt Best behind the scenes doing all the sweet cuts, adding the graphics and helping us out around here. So for Cody and Matt, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Experience! Experience!